Well, the Dungeon Gallows Spire is the baddest crypt around. And if you go in there, you better just be aware of a lich named Tabafon. The tyrant, more than deadly. You see, his magic carries potent will. All the BBEGs call him Mr. Friendly. All the horse things call him Sir. And he's bad, bad, Tabafon. Baddest lich in Galerion. Badder than an island eater. Meaner than the root of fear. Now TG, Necromancer. Yeah, he like his undead hordes. And he like to spread his misery from the summits to the shores. He got an artifact phylactery. He got a mythic tier or two. He got a thirty-two gun in his pocket for fun. He got a razor in his shoe. And he's bad, bad. Tabafon, baddest lich in Galerion, badder than an island eater, meaner than the root of fear. Yeah, he is badder than an island eater, meaner than the root of fear. Yeah, How's it going, that? everybody? <laughs> Welcome <was> awesome. to <laughs> Book 4, Retrospective Recap Extravaganza. That was oh, clapping right. along in my head. Yeah, that was that. That was a good one. That yeah, was that yeah. was nice. Who, sing, who sings that? Thank you, thank you. I do, as always. You should thank keep you, Nick. that one. <laughs> <laughs> I fell for it. Yeah, but this time it was a compliment. Oh, thanks. <sighs> All right, so uh, it's been a little while since we've done one of these. Almost, almost a full. I think it's been a full year actually. If you because. T- uh, we had like two weeks off where we did that meanwhile double special. Mm-hmm. So what what do we have? Uh, Forty nine episodes of book four, or is it? Uh, or is it four, a clean fifty? Uh, I think, no, I think it, it wasn't a clean fifty. I think it. I think it had to be forty eight. Forty eight. And okay. then two. We so had then with two the meanwhile, two in parts. There. Okay, so it was fifty. So almost exactly a year. You're just a, a few weeks off. <sighs> but yeah, we uh we made it through to the other side. <clears throat> How's everybody feel? Yeah, exhausted. Great. Yeah. This was uh this was a a, a trudge. Um I said at uh during our book 3 retrospective that book 4 was one that I was looking forward to the most out of all of the books and I think I still hold to that. I think I had the most fun uh in it, but I will not uh I will not deny or argue with anybody that it was also extremely exhausting. I have a question. And seeing as this is basically question based recap. Yeah, yeah. Did you think when you were like doing the prep work for the AP and in particular when we were you know, closing in on finishing book three and really going through book four. Did you think it was going to be this long? Because no. I personally don't feel like we lollygagged or really went off like on a side tangent that created all this extra time. Yeah, um, I definitely did not think it would be this long. I was expecting it to be a tiny bit longer than average, like maybe like 30, 35 episodes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think... 
I think I underestimated the travel time to get to Gallowspire. Um, uh, maybe if I were to do it all over again, I might have expedited it a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I I I kind of thought I, it what, was. What would you have cut out though? Like, I didn't feel like there was like we we talk about like oh there was all this travel time, but then when I listened back and did like a replay of book four recently, it didn't feel like like. There was travel episodes, but they always had some kind of event going on, whether it was the ghoul or the dragon or the fort. Like It wasn't just like, oh, here's three episodes in a row of us walking down a path. and right. like, right. Well, off the top of my head, there were at least two random encounters that were pretty, pretty big time sinks one of the random encounters uh killed the crimson herald yeah <laughs> so it, it, on on that Which was, specifically was a completely avoidable encounter here's yes because i rolled for random encounters and it was i let's i don't remember the, the percent chance let's say it was 20 i think i got like a 23 or something so that's why i was like okay you know what would be cool is if I rolled for an encounter and I aimed it at them, but I made it a hundred percent avoidable. Uh, so just to like they, so like they don't have the encounter, but like it just kind of drives the point home. Like there's danger afoot. This place is not safe to travel through. Um, and we tried to avoid it too. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll take partial fault, uh, like <laughs> being like, who wants to know the story of this guy? But I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, this was not, uh, my decision to do the engaging, but, uh, so you're saying it was Matt's fault. Well, I still think the only reason that the Crimson Herald died there was because of that decapitation crit card. Yeah, he if probably he would have that survived. specific crit. He would have lasted another turn to get mirror image up again and like have a chance for you guys to actually get into the fight. Yeah, that's and true. That encounter really only was two episodes. So like, if you removed it, are we going to sit here and would you be saying like, oh, this was a quick book? It was only forty-seven episodes. <laughs> well, right. Um, so the other the other random encounter that's off the top of my head, I'm sure there were more, but it was the uh, those giant spiders that like cl- like crawled down the cliff edge at you guys. It was like right before you got to that uh, giant waterfall, oh. uh, and they they fucked up Elksy. Uh Not that that narrows it down very much, but um, that yeah, I, wound I didn't up being... realize that was a random encounter like. Those yep. just seemed like something that would be on the approach. Like it's almost like they made their random encounter list super appropriate for the environment. Whoa. Um I know. Uh but yeah, so that's only so even if you took those three out and like we could be generous and say that each of them, you know, took up an entire episode. Uh like th- between the two of them they took up three full episodes, which they didn't. Um there's also like I could have like just completely removed any agency between like locations slash events and just been like okay so you leave castle Fonum and you travel for x days and you arrive at uh that like the, the place where you met tiablith yeah. oh right um 
like, and this happens, and then you do that. And like, okay, so you leave that, and you travel for this many days, and you arrive at this place. Um, so that would have that would have shaved down a significant amount. I think it would have ultimately not been as fun to listen to. Um, but I think that was definitely a big part of uh, what uh, bogged this down. I don't want to say bog it down as if it was a bad thing. Oh, then there was the fucking that ghoul that you guys fought in the Gallo Gardens. That was not a random encounter, but it was uh, a cam special. Added, <laughs> yeah, added lovingly by Cam and myself. Um, the so the crunch on that guy, uh, just bringing him up, was uh, he had I forget how many. I want to say thirteen levels of druid. And uh, then he had some ghoul-specific feats uh, where unless you uh, completely disintegrated him or, like, he had to, like, be, like, burned or something after you, uh, like, quote-unquote killed him, he would return to unlife with, like, one hit point during the next uh, next midnight or something like that. Um, and then... He had another ghoul-specific feat where if he, like, he can burrow, and then another ghoul-specific feat where if he, like, burrows underground and is completely submerged in dirt, he gains, like, one hit point every ten minutes or something like that. And he had, like, the heal spell from one of his, from his druid domain on top of that, so. Uh, well, wouldn't the heal so spell that, have, like, killed him? Sorry, sorry, harm. He had the harm <laughs> spell. Okay. <laughs> so, just... Boom, 130 hit points uh, was definitely a good uh, good way to assist him uh, being able to re-engage you guys the very next day. We have a question in the chat. Uh, Zeno has asked, do we have an official in-game time lapse of how much time was spent in book four? Not official, but I, I would say if you round it up slightly, you could say it was one full month between... The week-long voyage up the river to get to Nadari's Bastion, where you then met Arasni, uh, and then she teleported you guys back past Vigil in the opposite direction, and then it was about three weeks of travel and spelunking after that, give or take. Okay, so let's see. We have like a little bit of a format that we've been using on these. Um... Before we get into that, uh, this has been uh, this has been kind of eating at me, and I feel like I just need to get it out on the table. Uh, to, Go uh, on. <laughs> <laughs> Who's past their prime? I need, <laughs> I, I, I need to uh, I need to admit to my sins. Um, so once you guys got into Gallowspire, there was the magical light radii was halved. There was the plus 10 to all hearing-based perception DCs. There was the return as an undead the next day if you die. And then there was the uh, fan favorite, all healing halved. With mm-hms. If you're, if you're going to say anything about all healing halved, don't. <laughs> <laughs> swear to God, don't confess anything about that mechanic. I'll strangle you. These mechanics were not part of the AP. Oh, oh my son of a bitch. God, Alex. But, 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 they are in a Paizo official book specifically with pertaining to Gallowspire, listing Um, those as environmental hazard. 
it's called Dungeons of Galarian. And I don't believe that's on the approved source yeah. list. That's yeah. not for players. Oh, baby. All right. So, so, okay, hold on. Um, I, when I was, when we were in the beta planning for this AP, um, I went on the Paizo forums and I, on the Tyrant's Grasp, uh, section, and I was like, hey, um, does anyone have any, like, are there any good source materials that I can look through? In preparing for Tyrant's Grasp. Mr. Paizo himself better responded to you <laughs> to come up with this. <laughs> um, when we were planning for Skull and Shackles, I found the book this book called Isles of the Shackles, and holy shit, it was it's the densest fucking source book that I've ever seen for any setting. You could probably run three full campaigns up to and beyond 14th level where Skull and Shackles ended just with the fucking NPCs and story hooks in that book. Uh, and it, like all the, in- all the information on the little different like islands and cities and stuff. So I was like, is there any version of that for Tyrant's Grasp for last wall for, uh, Ustalov, et cetera. And Ron Lundin, a developer of Paizo responded and said, you want the uh, the books Cities of Galarian, which details the City of Vigil, and Dungeons of Galarian, that details Gallowspire. Uh, we referenced both heavily in developing this AP. So I said, thanks, Ron. And I went and uh, got my hands on the PDS for those books. And I saw those environmental hazards. And I was like, ooh, that's spicy. Um, yeah, friggin' Ron. If <laughs> at least you named this villain, so I have someone to direct my anger at. He was he was very helpful. Uh, please, nobody direct your ire at him. Direct it at me. If I had to do it all over again, I would probably heavily water down these uh, environmental hazards, and I could even like justify it as like, all right, look, the top level of Gallowspire and the tower itself got blown apart by the radiant fire. A lot of the fell energies or whatever that were, you know, causing these environmental factors uh, are like diluted. So maybe like, I don't know, maybe just like the static, like any static uh, healing added is halved or like with the light radii, maybe it's just like the first, radius of light or the second radius of light is halved and like there there are things that i definitely would have done after the fact um after like running this this time and seeing just how fucking brutal that was um i am sorry you, you know I, what that sorry sounds like it sounds like the fucking <laughs> the calls or the cable providers we sorry oh no that's your classic sorry you're not really sorry yeah. i might go as far as to say this is your your biggest atrocity at yeah. all time <laughs> uh, i know look, and that's why i'm like look you don't that's you don't why get, we took a you year get, to do this <laughs> <laughs> you don't get a pop like just straight apologies <laughs> like this from me but yes i am sorry can i ask uh like at what point did you start regretting your decision almost of- immediately <laughs> Almost immediately, you, like you couldn't have been like, like yo. Uh, it, just by the way, you made it first through through this first passage here. Like, 
it, you know, it fizzles out or something like that. Well, so that's why Uhtred had that weird dream where Razni gave him that steak. Like, yeah, that, that, that was me was being Alice like... going, oh shit, I went overboard here. Yeah, that was me saying, okay, <laughs> I, I made a fucking mistake and I need to fix it. And could I have just been like, all right, look, this actually wasn't part of the AP. Uh, I overestimated just how brutal this would be going forward. Let's just ignore that. I could have done that. But instead, I thought it would be better if I just kind of created an in-game solution that was still like in line with like the whole point of these environmental factors hazards is like you're in motherfucking Gallaspire. It's fucking crazy in there. Uh, and like, that's why these hazards are just so fucking crazy. So I was like, Oh, I want to keep them. Cause they are really like unique and brutal hazards, but maybe just give them like a tool to deal with the worst of it. Uh, again, if I were to do it again, I would, probably just not use that at all or just water that down quite a bit <clears throat> well alex that was very big of you to uh come out and admit that i, yeah, I would have taken that to my it. grave <laughs> <laughs> um, he should have taken it to his grave <laughs> so yeah I, it's been it's been bugging me for a while and i knew i was gonna have to i was gonna have to confess and i figured just all right, like it's I ripped the band-aid off it's behind us. Now we can continue <laughs> with now, the retro. Now the healing can begin. <laughs> yes. Uh, here, Zeno put the best best point here. The survival horror AP wasn't lethal enough to merit the survival part. <laughs> right. Yeah. Look, I was just trying to stay on theme and, you know, just I was trying to yes and sur- the survival horror. Um but yeah, I again, I'm sorry. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's enough time in the world that makes me forgive this. Okay, well, that's, that's we're gonna get through it together, there, Tom. I guess <laughs> we're gonna go to I therapy. Think we need a support. We, yeah, yes. we gotta set up a support group guys. <laughs> <laughs> every I need, every Thursday. I need a I need a stake in order to uh, feel better. There, <laughs> half healing though. Oh, Jesus. Now that said, the Healing hands not working. That is still part of how all the mechanics. I think that's tie actually what really screwed you up. I think the yeah. half healing would have been far more bearable if we had those hands at any point other than just when the stake was active. Yeah, it was the two Possibly. of those effects combined. That was what really yeah. crippled us in there. Like that was the legitimate by the rules, not a fuck up on your part. It just happened to compound exponentially on your fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, look, I, I was using rules. They just weren't listed in the AP. Just like, um, I'm going to, I'm going to use that line next time. I want to take a feat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We all get one feat out of, uh, out of a legal source. I don't know if I'm that sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we we can definitely like i'm sure that'll just be part of this uh, recap going forward because it it permeates half of the book um but yeah let's uh let's move on to uh to uh some round table discussions let's start with uh favorite combat in book four who would like to go first where does where did book four start and end? 
Book four started with you guys. Uh, the first combat of book four was when you fought the Kotablapas outside of Nadari's Bastion. And El- like that's when like you first reunited with Elksy. And it ended last week. Uh, all right. I think I got I think I got one. Um, sh- like one at the very start um, that like us rescuing that dude. It wasn't necessarily the combat itself. It, <laughs> it's what happened afterwards where essentially we just had this per- one singular person like control a giant cargo vessel like down mm-hmm. the stream afterwards. Yeah, but in between that, you tried to like conscript him into like go like taking you to Gallowspire. Coming with us. Yeah. Like, you're oh, part was... of the group now. I'm a fucking commoner. Go fuck yourself. That <laughs> was before we realized that we couldn't actually like take the boat to Gallowspire. So I was like, oh well, then you're useless. <laughs> uh okay. um Let's see. As for my favorite combat, like I, I'm just kind of like cycling through them in my head. Like I'm picturing the maps in my head and going, like, "What do we fight here and here and here?" Yeah, that's what I'm doing. And like, uh, like the Emeritus fight was great. The Randolph ghost fight was great. But I refuse to list either of those on the basis <laughs> that Tiablith was like not a part of them. Uh, yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> That's my Fair. favorite. The one where Tia both was <laughs> scared between his legs the whole time. He wasn't a part of it for literally cramping his pants running away. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. You little bitch boy. But, uh, if I had if I had to pick a favorite fight, I think it would be the Tarbafon Simulacrum. Yeah. That was a good one. That's a really good one. <laughs> like that was just I feel like we all had our moments in that fight. It started off with that like illusion of all of our friends getting fucking tortured <laughs> and just the whole the only oh shit moment of holy shit, he's not supposed to be here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yes, Tarbafon doing the guest uh, GM session was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh oh, I forgot about I'm still that. trying to yeah. clean up the mess he left. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, the Tarbafon bo- I- uh voice this fucking oh, kills I hate me. that voice so much. <laughs> it kills me, dude. <laughs> That, that, that you know how like yeah. like there's certain sounds that just eek you like you know nails yeah. on a chalkboard. That voice was so hard that entire combat listening to for me. <laughs> and it was it was a really fun combat, but I think for that reason I can't go with that one for me. Well, I will go next. Uh, I think my favorite combat was the the Witchgate's control pyramid. Oh yeah. That was cool. <laughs> Starting with the two dread wraiths saying like like answer this riddle and Tom pushing everybody out of the way saying I saw this in a movie once. I've got this and then immediately being like wait, no, I don't got this. And yeah. then the fight itself was super fun and dynamic cuz they're just like zip zapping through like through the walls and uh, like just playing like ghost tag with you guys, and then uh, when things were already super chaotic, uh, our I Tom I think at Matt's urging yep. shoots a fireball inside the pyramid, and I'm just go <laughs> I I go back to the PDF and I was like, let me just double check these notes because I'm pretty sure that's super bad. <laughs> and yep, any damage taken, any damage the pyramid takes. 
Uh, it just defends itself by pulling some guardian from a Witchgate in Verlich and brings them there. So I, and it was like, if that happens, uh, you can roll on this table and just see what happens. I was like, okay. And I did. And I was like, Jesus Christ, that thing is scary. <laughs> and it just got, it got so fucking out of hand. But like, it was never like a slog and it was never like, like everybody's dead. It was just out of control fun. That yeah. fight was like my best opportunity to let Arginus die. And I almost regret <laughs> not, not letting it happen. <laughs> Oh, and uh, Uhtred struck blind a creature that had blind sight with uh, with his crit, which that was just a really cool. Oh, I didn't uh, realize visual. they had blind sight. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who else has a uh, uh, favorite combat they want to talk about? I think I'm gonna go with uh, one that that may not be shared by many of us or listeners. Gallowspire was really weird for me. Um, I think we all saw, I kind of got into a position with Uhtred where he was so defensively sound and offensively lacking that towards the end of that, you would just be like, all right, well, you can't hit me. I can't hit you. So I'm just going to fucking ignore you. Like, (laughs) let me go after somebody else that I can actually hit and, um, so I think I'm actually going to go before we got into Gallowspire, and I'm going to go with um, the combat right after the horse thing, where I forget what the invisible creatures were, and Vipira's mom first reappears. Oh, yeah. That combat just felt like, it, was, it felt fun all around, like we weren't necessarily wiping the floor with them but we also like clearly were like all right we're the stronger ones and like that one of them kept like getting himself tangled up in like his loincloth <laughs> yeah. or something so there's like funny <laughs> moments in it it was just like a comment that was like that was fun that was just fun yeah that was that was a really fun combat um and on on that subject, uh, I kind of forgot that I did this. I completely overhauled that entire location. Um, it was initially going to be abandoned. Um, the horse thing would have still been in the courtyard, um, and Gibbers would have been there, and so would the Boggles. Um, but that was it. Uh, like the story is that Gibbers returned from his scouting mission. Like his whole transformation into the um forget what it's called. Uh whatever he is. Um Wasn't he a Mortic? Yes, thank you. Uh his transformation into a Mortic is more or less the same as what was revealed. Uh but and I think he was the and he was the one that ultimately created the horse thing, like accidentally, but he didn't stop there and he just kinda like went insane and like killed everybody else that was in the fort. And so when the PCs show up, he's just by himself, like, I think in, like, the big warehouse area, just kind of, like, brooding and, like, trying to figure out what's wrong with him. And the Boggles uh, are just kind of there, like, they're like, hey, look at that stupid gnome. He doesn't even know that he's a Mordic. Let's fuck with him. And so, like, they're just kind of like this, like, wild card as you go in there and... Gibber sees you and he just like flies into like a panic and attacks you. And then the boggles are just kind of like, like I said, wild cards, like trying to poke both sides. Um, 
but I just really like the idea of this um is kind of like the the thing, the movie the thing. Um like the horse thing kind of uh and like was a big inspiration of that and so I I really like the idea of it being like just this closed off group of people not knowing who to trust and like not knowing exactly what's going on just have the PCs like come into that and I figured that was a good spot to drop by Pira's mom and I was like eh maybe she befriended these boggles I don't know um <laughs> boggle minions so. too hags are a little fayish aren't they uh so some hags I think are it's weird like it's they're not like it's not like a universal monster type i think most hags are monstrous humanoids but the type of hag viper's mom was was an outsider uh a moon hag which are actually uh from the boneyard oh hence the whole you know thalias thing yeah or randolph thing. Um, yes um she was a, a moon hag and then she had levels of barbarian on top of that that makes sense which is why she was so mad all the time um all right who has another favorite combat i got one um keisha keisha's return uh mm-hmm. refresh me on how all that went i, I was just remembered <laughs> you're <laughs> you're like yeah there's this uh you're describing keisha keish and i'm like mm-hmm. uh what and then there's just the, <laughs> that like wasn't that. really a combat though no but the combat Right after that, where we got Keisha Keish back in action and fighting, um, is that the Shining mean, Child? Or do you mean yes. the yes, mean the combat with the other psychopomp that was mummified that was like in the process? The following of Keisha Keish. No, the following. I think one or two combats with Keisha Keish. That was all like that was all so fun to have I him see. come back after all this time, and then okay. to he had a. Help me out. He, he, he the staff. Yeah. Like him um, using his staff again. Who did he use that on? Because that's specifically um, the combat that I'm thinking of. Oh, the but bloody bones that was, is the that one was that way he, later. Yeah. That was right before he died. That was the mirror one, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah the bloody bones. One. The bloody bones. Yeah. Yep. That's specifically the one I'm thinking of. That was one of my favorites because uh, uh, okay. Keisha Keish in action. But all yeah. of his, like all of his combat you know getting him back that whole story arc of keisha keisha's back and we're fighting along <laughs> alongside him and gallowspire like i don't know there's just something about that man absolutely gets me yeah he understands uh, me on on a level no one else does <laughs> i was not expecting a keisha keish return like right when you first like revealed it was him all in the fireplace and everything like my jaw to the floor <laughs> yeah Actually, that is a good question. Like, was that part of the book, or did you just throw Keish Keish back in there because you wanted to use him again? I just I that was me uh, putting Keish Keish back in the back in the fire. Um, yeah, I knew I wanted to bring him back, but I just didn't know when would be the best point to do that. Um, and like, the I knew the longer I waited, the more I ha- I would have to like buff him up. In order for him to like be able be to relevant. tag along with you guys, <laughs> yeah, and just because of the way I am, uh, the the less of a power change he would need to have for that to happen, the better. Because you know, not that it would have really made a difference if he was like, you know, had like one level of monk when you first encountered him at nine eves, or if he had you know thirteen levels of monk 
Like, I guess you wouldn't have been able to spot a difference because he was just waffle stomping everything anyway. Um, but he is just a normal Shoki psychopomp in Nineve. So I just added, I think, one monk level onto him. And obviously that wasn't enough, but uh, <laughs> he, but he, but he was a, who would have uh, thought a, a level one monk <laughs> wouldn't make it through Gallows fight. <laughs> I mean, he, cause, uh, Shoki Psychopomp, I think is CR nine. So adding a level of monk that made him CR 10, which was, you know, not a little, a little under level. He is a little under level, but like, I'm just, I was like mostly looking at like his AC, his attack bonuses and, and his all that. And I was like. Yeah, and I was like, you know, by the numbers, he is, you know, only CR ten. But as far as his ability to, you know, not not instantly die and also be able to participate, uh, that seems pretty sufficient. And then I was planning on, you know, just having him level with the PCs. Um, he almost made it, but oh well. He almost almost he, made it. That's like the story of the whole fucking. Uh, yeah. Well, it's because he got yeah, abandoned by a... both Uhtred and Thalias during the uh, yeah. during the I Americas mean, uh, fight. I'm was... sorry, were you there? And also Tiablet, <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, you would expect Tiablet. You to abandoned abandon all of us. <laughs> yeah, it, well, that, the difference an... is, I didn't abandon you by choice. You guys Ooh. made the decision to back off. Um, it was it was a rough fight. Uh, so I, I don't fault Nick for like needing to pull away because Emeritus was a rough customer. Also, um, I had to because it was like the third round of we were doing the tiny mechanics incorrectly. So yeah, oh even yeah. if I stayed in there, you were well in the, I don't give a fuck about this tiny little skeleton here. <laughs> we're going to kill Keisha Keish regardless. I mean, I think he was focusing on you uh, pretty singularly at that point. Um, nah, like halfway he was, through that combat, he was he rolling was high like... enough to like have a decent chance of hitting you. Um, but yeah, I think I think it was like that you were having a hard time like hitting him back. Where eventually he was just like, "All right, I can just ignore you for now." I didn't like. I kind of like. So like we have like house rules for like character creation and stuff. And occasionally, if I see somebody, like, there's, like, an NPC, uh, and they're, they're statted up, and I'm like, oh, they're a little underwhelming. I look, and I was like, oh, well, you know, if if, the, if Paizo made this NPC using our house rules, then that would, like, free up a feat, because he's got power attack, and it would, like, you know, we would, like, do this and this and this. So, occasionally, I will go, and I'll kind of, like, clean it up. Um, and so, I didn't I didn't add anything to Emeritus, but I did give him that, like, cleanup treatment. Uh, which did make him a bit more threatening, because um, I was because like you guys were pretty handily uh, beating these grave knights, and Emeritus was certainly meant to be the strongest of them all. But uh, he felt the strongest. Yeah, I, I I was a little worried that he was going to feel underwhelming, so that's why I kind of went there and I just made sure that he uh, he was up to the challenge. Yeah, I was considering like he... giving him uh, like a a couple mythic tiers. To represent, I'm him being glad the, you didn't. <laughs> the leader, yeah, um, I, I was at the last minute. I was like, no, nah, I don't think he needs it. So <laughs> I like how you you were toying with a couple, not like a mythic tier against our non mythic, but like <laughs> they could have two. Well, uh, and it's more art than science with like mythic, but uh, generally speaking, it's like two mythic tiers equals plus one CR. So I was like, no, yeah, I'll just give him two, but. No, I'm glad. I'm glad I I didn't. Uh, I ended up saving that for later. 
Um, <laughs> all right, let's do some questions. Start with J Train from Discord. J Train asks: Since PC deaths are coming quick and fast in this last book, will the group continue if there is a TPK? Um, I believe we've been asked some version of this question before, and I think our answer is largely the same of it kind of depends. Um, the closer we get to the end of the campaign, the less of a return we would see like narratively from having a like a hard reset new characters. Like if if we had like a, a TPK like halfway through book six, it would be a pretty lame uh it'd be pretty lame to just be like all right here's four new heroes that have gone through the same shit maybe maybe not that all have the same like o-balls and same motivations to go you know save the day and they're just gonna go do it like at that point it would not have been worth it but yeah uh I do. I think I brought this idea up, and I think you had talked about it before too, Alex. Like there is the idea of like a soft reset, where if something were to happen to the party, like Rogiar could always come back, like recruiting new people to come and take up the mission. Yeah, all dwarven party. Hell yeah, <laughs> that's a terrible idea. Uh, yeah, no, I I do like that idea a lot. I'm obviously not going to go out of my way to make that happen, but <laughs> of <laughs> of all of the of all of the like the the possible resets, I think that it it's the most fluid and it makes the most sense. Uh, but yeah, I I would prefer to just keep the party that we have. Yep, or, or at least Utrid because he's he's the narrative. No, let's just keep everybody because yeah. like Utrid is our Devoth of this campaign. Where he's kind of carrying uh, a good majority of the the narrative purpose, but yeah, no, I I, I would prefer to just keep shut everybody. up, Richter. I don't even want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Let's see. Uh, uh, Automator from Discord asks: Can Joe take us through his step by step prices for creating a backup character? Uh, m- maybe prices is supposed to be a different word. I'm assuming processes processes. It's pretty easy. Actually, (laughs) what I do is I, uh, I pick up my phone and I dial Alex's number and I say, first I complain that he killed me. And then after that, I guilt him. It's a, I wish I had a good acronym for it. You know, like the dentist system, but yeah, I pick up the phone, call Alex, guilt him. And then, uh, he's like, all right, all right. (laughs) Then we workshop, that's a double. There's a W in there for workshop, um, and then usually he comes up with some good ideas, and I come up with some bad ideas, and we sort of mix those together into something that's a good idea but seems like a bad idea, kind of like a Randolph <laughs> and Thelias with the body thing. I mean, <laughs> it's just off the wall and ridiculous, but like Alex makes it work, you know. Yep. And I'm, then uh, I'm Joe Saul. <laughs> Um, yeah. Also, well, the other thing, uh, for anyone that's seen Glass Onion, which I think is most people here, yep. Joe is Miles Braun and Alex is um, yes. Toussaint, the, the black scientist who just gets all these faxes of like <laughs> random, <laughs> yes. random ideas and then Alex just has to kind of make it work. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's not and, spoilers um, toast. It's literally the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Way to spoil the first five minutes, Matt. <laughs> That's, uh, that and then, a- yeah, the end product is something that works mechanically and makes sense in the story, but you're, you're like, how did you get there? And it's actually, if you like, watch the entirety of Glass Onion, it does feel like a Joe PC. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, good, Matt. Yeah, Matt sends his detective uh, PC to uh, the <laughs> island to interact with Joe's uh, latest car wreck. Yeah. <laughs> I also, I, to be fair, I also solicit help um, from my my trusted advisors uh, on Discord. There, it's like a whole team effort to make character. <laughs> Me doing almost, you know, not almost nothing. It's like uh, if you built a house, right? And I, it's like I bought the You're bags the builder, of concrete. You're the builder, your contractors. Yeah, build the house, but instead of money, you just kind of pay with pleases. Yeah, it's, it takes a it takes a whole team to build a Joe character. It's and the uh, Joe did it again brain trust. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a system that works. Okay, don't fix what's not broken. No, I agree. I I have. I have more fun than I let on uh, making these crazy characters. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's do one more and then we'll continue. Uh, Lady Toast asks, uh, would you guys have played this differently if you weren't recording? Do you think recording has changed your play styles? Something tells Absolutely me we would not zero. still be doing Tyrant's Grass if we weren't recording this. I think we there would have been a mutiny. No. I I don't I mean I can't speak for any of you but I don't think I literally change anything of how I play because that microphone's on. Uh yeah, I'll agree with that. I, I mean, sort of like <laughs> hey, say that again cuz we just had like that where we're, three of us yeah. were trying to talk at once. Yeah. But I, I I mean I know this is going to upset everyone who's listening right now, but like when we were playing Kingmaker, <laughs> this feels just like that, right? Like yeah. Yeah. Zeno, I've definitely one hundred percent correct on that. <laughs> Tom, I, I've would have, Tom would have ejected uh, after book two of Dungeon World. <laughs> yeah, I, I oh. I'm not. I mean, obviously, we're we're all still having fun. Like that's kind of the most important part of doing this podcast. But I almost wonder if maybe after maybe I think book four here. Would, there would have been like a sit down and like all right look yeah can we have a break at least and like just run something else for a little while um or just uh alex do you have to be so brutal like uh you know like a parent teacher conference like listen mm-hmm. love your kid he's great but he's terrorizing the other children so maybe you know maybe the second half of the semester you sort of make some changes yeah um, I will say, as far as playstyle, I know I have definitely changed a bit since we started using the mic, um, and I think it's a combination of things for me, because I know when we started recording, I was the GM for Kingmaker. Yeah, I'm going to bring it back up again, just taunt all of you. <laughs> Guys, how many times can we say Kingmaker in this recap? <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, because I was the D, the GM there, like 
that kind of got in my head doing all of the different characters and stuff. So then once we started Skull and Shackles, I got more into it doing the Devoth voice and that stuff. And then obviously I was doing that one voice for the two and a half years of Skull and Shackles. So You also carried our RP, I feel like, through Skull and Shackles. That was some legendary RP. Like, like I, th- I think I feel like the rest of us had RP. I'm not saying we didn't, but I feel like from the very get go, you were RPing Devoth. Like you, like you said, you were in that mindset from, the, you know, the gun going off. Yeah, and and again, and that was like a very conscious decision, knowing that there's a microphone in front of my face, and this is for entertainment for other people to listen to, because like before that, that was very much not my playstyle. I wasn't the type to talk in character with a dialogue i was the type of guy that would go my character convinces you to do this and roll diplomacy i wouldn't try to actually articulate the argument i i relate to that uh i definitely uh i think the amount of effort i put into like making gming a performance for the sake of the podcast is a lot more than i would if we were just doing this like without an audience without microphones um so for me i think that the the podcast itself has uh really inspired me to uh do a lot more than i would have otherwise and yeah, especially with like the the cutscenes and stuff that you that you write oh, up dude. too yeah those are legendary yeah thank you um yeah i i i'm sure i i i I would probably like like make like you know something uh, in place of those because uh, they are fun. Like I I do love like writing and stuff, but I think I definitely wouldn't have I wouldn't put the polish on them that I do. Yeah. Uh, um. And now I've said this several times before, uh, but I think that as a as a group, everybody's role playing has like if you look at where we were at from the start of Skull and Shackles to where we are now, we are we have. The, the the role play from this group is like it's out of out of this world. It's so good, um, and I don't th- I don't think that that's because that you know there's a microphone and we're doing this for a performance. But I do think that the feedback that we get from people listening to it, I do think that that does go into it. But that's just like a a theory. I, I won't pretend to know better than like Joe. I think there's merit to that. that. Yeah, that yeah, sounds some merit to. I think for me personally, it was more about being able to go back and listen. Yeah. Like, because, like, I mean, we played for so many years where we weren't recording, right? And you would talk about it, but, like, you didn't actually get to hear, like, word by word what was said during the session. Yeah. And it it just kind of, like, the more you listen, the more you'd be like, oh, dude, I should have done this, right? And then, like, you can use that later on and... I think that made a big difference for me. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Being able to listen all over again, like, because there are a lot of there's a lot of like plot hooks that I'll plan or even not plan, and then like upon re-listening, I'll go, "Oh, that's right!" Like, I it, it's it's not too late. I can like start to really like nurture this like this little plot hook right here to have a big payoff in a little bit. 
Um, or even like quick little callbacks like you did with uh, in the last episode when Randolph introduced himself as <laughs> Randolph and Thalias. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that definitely helps keep a like a level of posterity to uh, to like things that I prepare and yeah, just being able to recall uh, specific events. All right, let's move on and let's talk about everybody's funniest moments. Uh, what is, in your opinion, the funniest moment from book four? See, that's an interesting one because I feel like the funniest stuff was not actual in the book like characters having funny moments because they just basically suffered pain after pain after pain yeah uh there's definitely less comedy than normal to go around in in this campaign (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah that xeno's got a good point the 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 war of the randolphs was definitely that was hilarious (laughs) that's a good it's like looking looking back on it the uh I think the funniest moment for me, obviously not in the moment, but looking back, is the death of the Crimson Herald. Just like, <laughs> so the morbid because, irony of it. The more, yeah, yeah, just just the irony of like, I had literally been preparing for that character for months leading up to that. Because yeah, you had you were so um, excited. Yep, I, I guess I'll address this now for the recap. But like, I. I knew Rogyar was going to leave when Vigil exploded, like, well before that, because I accidentally spoiled myself trying to, like, just be a helpful player on Reddit um, and, like, a- answer a question. <laughs> and then as soon as I, it's like, I, I did that and I immediately went, I emailed Alex. I went, so, yeah, I fucked up and I know <laughs> Vigil's going to explode. Um, but knowing that, uh, there ain't no way Rogyar's sticking around after that. So we should start planning that. So from that moment on, I just been, I was researching. I looked into, as I always do, so many different character concepts and planned so many things out. And the thing with the Crimson Herald, like initially he was just straight up warlock archetype vigilante. And then I dug more into it and I went, oh, if I throw some arcane trickster, I can, you know, add some more flavor to this while still maintaining and being a good combat option, this, that, and the other thing. And obviously anyone who was listening for him got a, uh, you know, probably picked up on the fact that while he was in the Crimson Herald guise, he spoke in verse. He spoke in rhyme. Yeah, I had so many rhymes pre-written <laughs> Assuming he was going to be around for a while, and I oh never got to use anything. It's kind of insane how similar these origins and tragedies are between the Crimson Herald and Jubilus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't think I had nearly as much time to prepare for Jubilus as you did for Crimson Herald, but I had a fair amount, uh, especially considering you know. War for the Crown is a month apart instead of a week apart. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like I also had like a lexicon of funny, uh, funny Southern sayings that he would that he would say, um, and like I had them like sorted out into different like categories and scenarios, so it was easier to reference. And uh, yeah, and he died in his first combat. Uh, correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong, but didn't they? Uh die within only a few weeks actual time of each other yeah 
It was very close. Yeah. <laughs> I I believe Crimson Herald died first. Yes, I'm he not did. positive. They were very close to to each other. But yeah, no, uh can confirm Matt did uh send me that email and it literally started with I fucked up. Um <laughs> I I have a funny moment. It it wasn't like a like there was there wasn't really any time to reflect on it being funny at the time, but when Arasni popped up in curse, that was pretty oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I so, <laughs> I kind of, I I had some time to kind of figure out how this was going to, uh, shake out because, like Nick and Matt had been kind of talking not too candidly about how Uhtred was really considering teleporting to curse first chance he got to just go see Rogyard as like. Just a, like taking a break, and like just he needed that chance to like just go talk to somebody and like reset. And so once I realized that the most likely point that that was going to happen was after they shut down the witch gates, I kind of started looking at it from Arassi's point of view, and I was like, would she know that? You know, they went somewhere that's, like, obviously not where Tarbafon is. Maybe. Like, it's not a definitive yes, but somebody of her power, like, maybe she would have at least taken a second to scry on them or reach out and contact them. Um, But at the same time, she's been sitting in this fucking basement for, like, almost a for over a month now because she was already there when vigil was destroyed and she made it clear during their meeting there that she is not a patient woman and she does not i think the wording was it's not in her nature to cower and fear to to cower and hide for long or something like that so i was like you know what i think it'd be funny as hell if she was just like like in her head she felt like oh the wish gates are down all right oh they teleported all right here we go and then just shows up and it's like fucking people everywhere. And then just the snippy little argument that she was having with everybody while like this marketplace is like <laughs> arms in the air, like, ah, run for your lives. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing? And the party's like, what the fuck are you doing? It was just, it, it was so much fun. <laughs> I did love the, uh, like the mental image of that, like town folks screaming and scattering guards approaching. Nobody gives a fuck except poor Argina is just like running <laughs> yeah. around in a circle like guys guys come on yeah Argina's matching the energy of the market people but like st- <laughs> sticking around uh no, no it was Elias being like I'm one of the ones screaming that's true Elias <laughs> well, had I, no fucking clue he had no context I think the next part to that was actually a little bit more funny uh where <laughs> Nick pulls the most chaotic move possible. It was just like, oh, you're just coming to Rogyar's house with me. <laughs> How is that chaotic? I've been very clear cut about I'm trying to go to Rogyar. Yep. It I it was it made it made things it was definitely a chaotic uh series of events, but um yeah, no I I figured that that was a possibility if not inevitability if Arasni teleported there that she would also wind up at Rogyar's house um so i was very eager to see how matt would uh roleplay Rogyar's reaction to 
uh, undead person teleporting into his house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I got to talk to myself on microphone. That was fun. Yep. <laughs> you did such a good job with that. By yeah. The way. No, it's, yeah, you did a great job. Uh, double RP. Um, I want to actually, Zeno in the discord mention Teoboth pulling the dragon. I think I'm going to go with that as my, Oh my God. Not, yes. Not only was it hilarious that only a dragon, um, could hear his echolocation, <laughs> but I like literally just got done saying that he's the type of guy that's just one day going to walk off and like, we'll never see him, never know what happened. And yep. then all of that unfolded. Like he yep. literally just went and walked off a cliff and then emerged a few minutes later. Like, ah, <laughs> but like, scatter just... you idiots. It's a drag. <laughs> yeah. What are y'all sitting around here for you? <laughs> fucking stupids. <laughs> the, and just reflecting on the possibility that if the dragon had gotten that dispel magic off and just consumed Teoblith at the base of we the waterfall, never known. you would have never known. He would have just been gone forever. He just last thing you saw was he just walks <laughs> off the cliff, and you're like, he'll probably be back, right? <laughs> He's just gone forever, just erased from the from this earth. <laughs> um it was just yeah i i think that probably uh takes the cake uh as funniest moment i i would also change my answer but still uh still would have listed the arazi thing as an honorable mention uh yeah no that was that was fucking looney tune shit <laughs> uh i would have had four characters within like a two month span <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah after not losing a character for a campaign and a half. <laughs> I was going to say, you went from having the least amount of PC deaths to yep. the most in like a six week span. Yeah, but then Joe caught back up, so he's good. <laughs> yeah. He was like, no, that's the only record I'm going to have. <laughs> God damn it. I just want to point out real quick, though, while we're talking about character deaths, yep. uh, if the Lias makes it to the end, the only PC that didn't make it to the end alive was Vipira, and I was pretty damn close to. Oh, you're pretty confident about Rogyar surviving. Well, I mean, if you kill Rogyar while he's, it seems so unnecessary. Not in Matt's control. Yeah, that's just that's on you. <laughs> hey, Arazni mentioned that the moment she leaves Nadari's Bastion, anybody who's been looking for her knows exactly where she went. So there was a significant oh. <laughs> portion of time where anybody who was like, where the fuck is Arasni?" would have suddenly been like, she's in curse. Come on, boys. To so fair, though, we'll see what happens with that. That doesn't mean they know that she talked to Rogyar. No, but anybody who shows up would probably be undead. And I think Rogyar would probably want to take a shot. And who knows what would happen. <laughs> We we I did have this conversation, <laughs> I think, on Discord, and I think it'll all depend on the environment. If we are outside anywhere, I think Rogyar could take just about anything, like, just based on the Grave Knights that we did fight. Like, Emeritus would have been the only one that would have given Rogyar a big issue, because he was the only one that could fly. Other than that, like, none of them really had, like, ranged attacks. Again, maybe the sixth one was a ranged attack user, but... 
Rogar's ability to fly and just like beat the shit out of anyone from the air, as long as he didn't get caught inside, he probably would have been able to handle something like that. You know, I'm trying to think. My memory is really not good, but I, I like thinking back of all the moments in, in total, our genus makes me laugh out loud more than I just know he's the fucking wild card that I always thought that I was, but he's so much wilder. Like I have no idea what's going to happen with this fucking man at any given time. And some of the situations he gets us in, (laughs) it's just like, I have to stop what I'm doing and just fucking laugh about it. And it happens like over and over and over. There's not like one particular, Oh my God, our genus. Why have you done this? That I could like come to mind right now, but I know there's so many of them. Oh, the merit. Uh, <laughs> I, I think my absolute favorite moment with being our genus is the the one moment that was supposed to go way under radar, which was uh, <laughs> our genus like wanting to hook up with a Razni, and it just got blown up out of proportion. Yeah, I mean, but that's not even, that's like a when I think of our genus moments, I'm thinking of ones that drag the whole fucking group down with you <laughs> like that if you want to do the rasdy thing that was on you but there's so many moments where you're like you do something i'm thinking oh my god tom what are the ramifications for me you're gonna like you're gonna get me killed or like now we have to do you know how are we gonna get out of this hole that you just there was no hole and our genus was like whoa hold on guys what if there was a pit right here We're like no our genus why why have you dug a hole right here it's so unnecessary but so comical you know at the same time where i never know when there's going to be a hole that we're gonna have to dodge because of our genus wild card um uh, i get i don't remember if i cut it out or not but uh discord answer me this um in the i don't know if it was i think it was uh 124 not the not the finale, but the one right before that, when Arasni kind of like she casts heroism on Uhtred and then she like flies away to go prep herself for the fight. <laughs> During recording, Tom like as she's floating away, Tom goes like, "I'm gonna marry you." As she's floating away, <laughs> yeah. That, I don't remember. Did I cut that from the recording? No, you did it. I don't think you. Oh, maybe you did for them. Okay, I, I did. I did cut it because like I just remember. You could hear Alex die inside because, yeah. because he like he wanted that moment to have so much power and gravity, and Tom yes. just cut the legs out from under it immediately. I think I that's think, the perfect intersection of what I'm talking about. Where it's like comedy plus what? What, like, what happens now? I, I think I think Alex was also like pissed off because he had like an entire thing like he was going like i think he had a Razni was going to kill me if i was uh if i were to bring that up to her like before that exact if you brought it up before that yep. exact moment you would have died for telling her that. yeah 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 <laughs> that's the perfect example i forgot about that exactly that it's like <laughs> I'm gonna fish that out from the archives so you can hear it. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I I don't know why that got cut out. That was that was definitely uh, <laughs> the most. I think for all the reasons Matt just gave. Yeah, <laughs> the most the disappointed and saltiest moment that Alex could have given. Like it was, but it was one of those like 
in any other moment that would have just let, stayed in and been amazing and hilarious but like just that particular moment <laughs> i feel like we needed the seriousness of it and it's I'm just back. like oh yeah what did i miss uh, we're, we're, we're don't just worry about it you can listen to it when it's published <laughs> no 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 <laughs> we're talking well, let about... me guess let me guess let me guess all right was it Arjuna shouting that he loves Erasne? <laughs> yes! Yeah. How did he know? He's so good. Oh, my God. I'm just, I'm just reading the, the reactions on Discord. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> this is the saltiest I... you could have ever been, and Matt cut that entire scene out. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, like, I could absolutely, like, when he did that, I could just I could hear you die inside because they just completely undercut the gravitas you were trying to put into that moment. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and uh like not only that, but I had a whole thing laid out um where if Arginus ever did that to Arasni, like she had a very quick and simple reaction that would most likely just perma remove our genus from the story oh my god because <laughs> her thing is the last mortal man that thought he was worthy of her affection was roslar <laughs> oh my god roslar so, those are basically the same guy so she so for her she's like you know Roslar's soul is beyond my grasp. And all the shit that I've imagined doing to him, if you really want to give me that closure, say it again. I dare you. And uh, yeah, then it would have been on. She was pissed when Uhtred mentioned Roslar. (laughs) Yeah. And then it would have been on Tom if he wanted our genus to stay in the story or not. Um. She basically would have uh, used a cast a gate spell to get a like CR twenty outsider to just go get Arginus and bring him to her. Jesus. Um, and she would have done just the most unspeakable things to him. Um, wow. But he he chose like at that moment in the story and also Arasni's arc, like. She wasn't just going to be like, like screech to a halt and be like, what the fuck did you just say to me? So like Arasni had to be like, I'm just, I just got to fucking let it go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it, not only, so not only did it like undercut the whole scene, it, uh, it was also like, I had something for this. <laughs> yeah, Alex. Uh, yeah. Can you th- off the top of your head? Can you think of any other times where? Because this all started from me thinking of when Tom has done something wild card that's just made me like laugh because it's like it brings about these questions for not just Tom. You know, he, he invokes the the whole group into his scheme, like, and it's so fast. Just like that's a the prime example because he mm-hmm. says something so unnecessary, <laughs> so so you don't see it coming, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, what does this mean? <laughs> I know there's been more than that one, although that one is the perfect example. If you uh, think of one, you know, while we're going through this. Oh yeah, you know. when. When he provoked Sito to like oh chopping God. the table in half, that <laughs> yes, was definitely provoking. another time. 
That's that was, <laughs> he's a provoker. That was Vipera though. Yeah. Yeah, not Tom. still Tom doing wild card yeah. shit. <laughs> I, I'd um, say that our genus has been rather tame in the sense of not doing anything way out there. Our genus has been very yes and with his wild cardness. Yes. Which definitely uh is is a more uh team uh pro team attitude with Vipera's uh no and attitude, I think we could probably call <laughs> no it. Yeah, that that's a pretty good way to <laughs> let's did we have any other funny moments or did we get to everybody? Or that that kind of just turned into like a yeah, I, I can't believe we found answer. that many funny moments. Yeah, yeah, I I think that was it. <laughs> okay, um, let's see. Let's go back to questions. Casual Chaos from Discord asks: After all this dungeon crawling, will Tom quit if they come to another dungeon afterwards? <laughs> I've made it this far. I don't plan on quitting now. But fuck, I do not. I can't. Like. Anybody who tells me that travel time does not equate to uh, dungeon time is wrong. You are wrong. You are wrong. You are on a single straight path to one destination. You are wrong. Didn't talk to anybody for those fucking, for nearly a goddamn year. Oh, fuck. But are they wrong, Tom? They are. (laughs) Travel time equates to dungeon time. But, I mean, this is a pre-written adventure, so... Even the social interactions have been a vehicle to get to the next dungeon, right? I mean, but you can have control over those discussions, right? Like You can have control over the travel. No, you can't. Not the random encounters. Well, you can take measures to try to avoid random encounters. You can, like, you have all the... I give you all the agency that you could ever want of, like how to role play like during traveling how are you traveling you don't like travel i get it but i i i'm just challenging your notion of traveling is just a dungeon because i think if you this is just a fucking a pop tart as a sandwich argument where like <laughs> yeah like <laughs> if, if we want we can just definition enough yeah yeah we can just break anything we want down into being a dungeon like if you want to take that route uh it, you don't like travel i get it i wouldn't call it a dungeon all right, well, that was a, a short and sweet uh, question and answer. Um, Zeno from Discord. What are the specifics that the AP gave for when people died in Gallowspire? Um, I did talk about this mechanic, but I did not go into the specifics. So just give me one second, and I'll bring up the Dungeons of Galarian book, and I'll read it right out of the horse's mouth. Oh, so that was another one that wasn't in the AP, but was like... <laughs> Yeah, that was well, another effect. Did I not list that as one of the things? No. <laughs> oh, well, oh my god, it is all uh, the way down. So, so yeah. So here, here are the just just so I don't accidentally leave anything out. Here are the environmental hazards that Dungeons of Galarian lists for Gallowspire hazards: echoes and cries. Anyone venturing through the dungeons of Gallowspire cannot help but hear the. Tortured murmurs and cries of the countless souls who met their ends locked within the mines under Adarak, as well as the innumerable fools who displeased the tyrant during his rule. While faint, these distant sounds make it difficult to hear anything outside a character's immediate surroundings. The DC for any perception skill check that relies on hearing increases by 10. 
oppressive gloom. The illumination throughout the dungeon is dim light. Non-magical light sources cannot increase the light level, and magic ones have their areas reduced by half. No light source, no matter its origin, can increase the light level to bright light. Oh, I missed that part. Um, I don't think that would have made a huge difference, but... Uh, the save DC of any spell that has the light descriptor is reduced by two. Taint of the Unliving. Negative energy flows through the very stones of Galaspire in dull black veins. This negative energy is so strong that it affects all sources of negative and positive energy within the dungeon. Oh, you know what? I think I didn't even do all of this one. Uh, any There's spell... no making it any better. <laughs> but there is making it worse. And this is how I would have done it. Any spell or effect that heals damage to living creatures heals only half the normal amount. If such an effect damages undead creatures, it deals only half the normal amount of damage. Any spell or effect that uses negative energy to harm living creatures deals half again as much damage. So plus 50%. If such a spell or effect restores hit points to undead creatures, it restores half again as many hit points. That would have been worse. Yes. All undead in Galaswire receive channel resistance plus two. This stacks any channel resistance they might already possess. The Taint of the Unliving can be temporarily purged by a Consecrate effect. So, yeah, I definitely only retained the first chunk of that one. Uh, And then here's the Rising Dead hazard. Those who die within Galaspire's dungeon, but not in the tower itself, rise as undead in 24 hours unless their bodies are sanctified uh, by casting Bless or Consecrate upon the body. Uh, The type of undead depends on the total hit dice of the dead creature. If the creature had 7 or fewer hit dice, it returns as a zombie. If it had 8 to 15 hit dice, it returns as a ghost. If it had more than 15 hit dice, it rises as a vampire. So you're telling me all we have to do is cast a bless spell, and we wouldn't have gotten Ghost Randolph or Zombie Elksy? I mean, yeah, but you, uh, you had no way to, like, workshop that. This is not a, like... Oh, you know what? I think this place might have the Rising Dead yeah, hazard. I guess like, there's not a knowledge Galaspire, yeah. huh? Also, like, the only person that could have cast Bless was Randolph. We had a bead. Yeah. That's true. That's true. He had the bead of Bless. We wouldn't have had to <laughs> You can that. use any magic device, so. This is true. Um, but I definitely now, don't know what how we would have been able to workshop that. To, yeah. like, know to do that. Yeah, it's uh, not exactly something that you want to uh, have a trial and error for. Like, best case scenario, you don't ever have to worry <laughs> yeah, about it. Yeah, seriously, right? Like, let alone... Right, who's going right. to die to test our <laughs> hypothesis? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, Elksy, uh, if she came back, came back as a ghost. Uh, same with Kishikish. Kish. Um, but uh, you are pretty confident that Kishikish Kish did not come back, but that's... You know, neither. We don't know for sure. Um, Yeah, based on their hit dice, ghosts. And it just kind of worked out, like, perfectly that Randolph's hit dice made him a ghost since Thalias was now occupying his body. Um, So, like, if if he came back as a vampire, that would have, like, complicated things. But I probably would have just bumped him back down to a ghost for the sake of having that really fun encounter anyway. Um, And speaking of this hazard... I don't know if this is going to come up or not, but um, I want to talk about the end game content that you guys uh, that you guys went you through. You think that was going to come up? Uh, well, I didn't know if it would or not, um, and maybe it would. But so I I don't want to like go through everything that I had planned, but the like the big featured 
combat, not necessarily the last one, but like the one that would have been like the gatekeeper of the bulk of any treasure that you were looking for down there was something that initially when I was reading through again, this was from the Dungeons of Gallowspire book. Um, I was like, oh, holy shit, that would be so fucking cool. I'm going to put that in. Then I like I kind of like did the math and I was like, oh, no, no, I can't do that. Um, so the Dungeons of Gallowspire, it lists all these. This book was obviously written before Tyrant's Grasp. So it assumes that Gallowspire is fully intact um, and it like kind of outlines what you could possibly encounter uh various different levels of Gallowspire if you were to send a group in there as well as like like flimsy pretext for like well Gallowspire is completely sealed off so how do you get somebody in there I don't know you could probably make something up but so you've got like the tower the only way to get into Gallowspire is to first climb to the top of this tower go into the entrance through there and then climb down the inside of the tower and then at the very top level that is still controlled technically by the Knights of Ozum. Uh, and then, like, the Great Seal uh, is located at the far end of that layer before it goes down uh, into, you know, where Whispering Tyrant's forces still are. The final guardian in front of the Great Seal was a Sphinx that had, I want to say, 12 levels of Oracle. And its whole thing was that the Great Seal was nourishing it so it didn't need to eat or drink and the Shining Crusade was like, all right, Sphinx, I, it, her name is Shednesiptura, I think is the right way to pronounce it. But they're like, all right, you just stay here and you don't let anyone approach forever. And then the Whispering Tyrant used the Radiant Fire and destroyed everything. The Sphinx had enough hit dice to come back as a vampire. Oh, God. So, <laughs> uh, after... Shortly after destroying the upper levels of Gallowspire, he would have been delighted to re- to discover that there was a Sphinx Oracle vampire that he could uh, induct into his ranks. And since Sphinx loved to guard shit, he would have been like, hey, while I'm gone, you go guard all of my shit. By the numbers, like, because Gallowspire gives you kind of, like, quick math on how to calculate challenge ratings and, like, it, like... You have a monster, and it starts at this challenge rating, and then you add this many of this class levels, it affects the challenge rating this way, and then you've got, like, the vampire template, and that just kind of default adds two to this, the challenge rating, blah, blah, blah. I think by the numbers, it was a CR 19 encounter, but then I kind of looked at, like, its stats, because Pathfinder then has this other resource of, like, if your CR is 19... The average AC should be this. The average hit point should be this. The average, if they're primary attackers, their attack roll should be around this. If they're not primary attackers, then it should be around this, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, obviously nothing is going to, like, perfectly plug in, but it's, like, a good way to gauge the general power level of if you create, like, a custom monster. And I was looking at that, and I was like, oh, this thing is closer to, like, CR 23. Um, Oh, my God. So I kind of created this whole like riddle encounter where as long as you guys weren't like didn't like just kick down the door and say, all right, get him. The Sphinx would have been like, like, hey, you're trespassing. I can't let you pass. Uh, and if you guys were like, oh, well, please. And she would have been like, well, I am a Sphinx. So here's a riddle. Um, and if you answered correctly, uh, she would have given you one piece of treasure and then said, now get the fuck out of here. 
Um, and then if you decided to fuck around, you would have found out. <laughs> and if you somehow miraculously uh, defeated this CR-23 Sphinx Oracle Vampire, uh, I had some other crazy shit that would have triggered like immediately from its destruction. Um, but I might just keep that in my pocket for now. So that stemmed from the same book, Dungeons of Gallowspire, where initially I was like, oh, it'd be really cool if they encountered that Oracle Vampire Sphinx. And then I decided no. But then when I was like, well, they might just go deeper into Gallowspire. That's where I want to put this uh, Vampire Sphinx. That would have been an interesting encounter. Yep. Uh, I think her seat, I think her AC was like 38. (laughs) All right. So moving on, let's see. Uh... Lord Richter asks, after a year of dice and salt, what is your favorite comment from the podcast? Of course, this question would not be about book four. It would be about <laughs> dice and salt. Um, anybody got an answer? I really enjoyed the interview with enjoyed. I'm putting in quotes here because when I was listening to the interview with Tom, and listening to Toast and Richter being like, yeah, just tell Erasny how you feel. You just got to. Really I was like, no, just don't. That's, <laughs> that interview is what made me come up with like, what would Erasny do? All right. Like, this is what she would want to do. How would she accomplish that? Um, so that was, uh, that was definitely a standout for me. Oh, man. I think mine. I was. I don't have a specific comment, but my. I think my favorite bit was just the the interview with Joe the first time he was on, where he was basically just telling like fun stories about like growing up with Alex and Nick, including the uh, leaving leaving Nick up in Saratoga. Oh yeah, what on, a fun story! On, like, fourth of, <laughs> was it Fourth of July or New Year's or something? Oh, so fun. Yeah. <laughs> Just, just that whole like. There was a lot of stories that even I hadn't heard yet, and it was just, mm-hmm. it was just great. <laughs> you know, speaking of that, the um, the fucking fantasy fantasy <laughs> bit that was that uh, Toasted Richter came up with. You know how it was oh, like, uh, fantasy where they football? Ke- they start keeping track <laughs> of everybody's <laughs> yeah. performance. Dude, that, I, I was that really has... sad that didn't catch on more because well, that's yeah. been Ooh, in my mind ever since. <laughs> like, <laughs> it really had. Like, I'll be doing stuff and I'll just be thinking, like, Yo, I, I gotta just get those numbers I don't know. up. <laughs> yeah, I gotta get those numbers up. Like, <laughs> so that that was actually really impactful to like my mind and playing the game. So I never thought about it that way. And it nice. It's like how I think about a lot of stuff. Yeah, but you're never a in my boy. fantasy setting. Yeah, that's funny. So All that right. that's actually that's been with me this whole time. <laughs> All right, cool. Dyson Salt can stay. <laughs> yeah, I guess they're all right. <laughs> and it's good that they, uh, you know, didn't keep going with that because, uh, like I had said during the interview, I don't think that I could take it. I think it's perfect, just you know, for me as a tool to like think about, you know, yeah. and have with me. <laughs> If I had to actually look at my stats for it, it would just be depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it might it actually real... make you get good. Uh, I don't know. Ever I... since ever since you yeah. s- you came back as Thalias with channeling the champion, you have been pumping out damage. You know. Yeah, but is and, that uh... Joe or did Axel just <laughs> well, make a really good 
power <laughs> suit for him to step into. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, um, <laughs> with when I came in with Brilliter for the you know two episodes that he was in. Who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like when when I came in with him, and then when I came in with Tealith, like my initial idea was to make Tealith a support based occultist. Like his initial job was to come in and just like give all of you guys buffs to go and kill things while he just sat in the back like watching like kind of his initial intention was to not really get too involved but once i realized that yeah like like archers are so ridiculously strong and without rogyar this group was like sorely lacking in just straight up damage so like it's like fine i'll do it myself type of thing (laughs) but he's he's all right but, but now that like Joe's back in with the champion. I'm honestly tempted to to take that step back. Just like here, I'll enhance your shovel with Bane, whatever you're fighting, and you go have fun. I'll, I'll be back. Yeah, here. <laughs> I gotta channel the higher fence so that your whole th- plan goes out the window. <laughs> there was another thing from Dyson saw. I can't remember what it was, but there was something that I had overlooked, and it was too late to rectify it. And because like we were like several episodes ahead and on Dyson Salt, they're like, yo, so this happened. So I'm wondering if Alex is going to have this happen. And I listened and I was just like, fuck, (laughs) (laughs) because that was supposed to happen. But I completely forgot. And not only are they actually like they're onto something with predicting it, but I'm letting them down because I completely forgot. (laughs) That's I can't. Funny. I wish I could remember what it was, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> um, all right, let's do one more question. Um, we got. I don't know if I'm saying this name right. Uh, Patrick Slaney uh, asked us via email. Uh, question for Alex: What is the most annoying slash irritating character class to GM for, and why is it the Magus? <laughs> I seem I seem to recall getting this exact question for book three, but it was what it was that exact wording except instead of Magus it was kineticist. Or it might have been book two. Um it was like what is your least favorite class and why is it the kineticist or something like that? I don't I don't know. I don't really have a good answer for that. Uh I probably should have come up with one since I knew this question was coming, but I think Yeah, Nick. Well yeah. Sorry, Alex. What Nick, what was the uh was it a druid that you were playing, the shapeshifter? I feel like you and Alex oh, were getting into it with that. I mean, that was a gestalt mythic campaign. So, yeah, yes. it was fucking oh, yeah. It was a monk druid. Monk yes. druid, yeah. Like, of the ones that I've been a part of where Alex has been GMing and there's been like a, like this class, ah, like it was that. <laughs> yeah. I almost uh, thought you were talking about Ivan sure. for a second there with like the rainbow cat attack. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that, no. That, I mean, that yeah. also was annoying as fuck um i think that's actually not a bad answer because it's just hey you want pounce well just go ahead and take it built into a class for the shifter like i think that was my i think that's my least favorite uh least favorite thing that they've ever done with a class just go ahead and just pick the take this option you get pounce and then all of your natural attacks get grab i think that was probably my most frustrating uh, experience dealing with a, a, any one specific class. I loved it. I don't know what you're talking about. Especially <laughs> in a yeah, I bet. 
especially in a campaign where 90% of the opposition was just humanoids. Like I'm going to give a different answer to that. Um, okay. I think maybe you didn't think of this because you weren't the GM. Mm-hmm. I swear I'm not doing this on purpose. I generally believe this might to bring be up Kingmaker. About to bring up Kingmaker. <laughs> Put it on the counter. Yeah. The the crazy cleric that I played. Oh, I yeah. feel like that the cleric build, that I told you about. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> was like the first time one. I <laughs> Matt was like, "Hey, check out this crazy power thing," and I was like, "Wow, that sounds like fun. I'll do that." I feel like that must have been pretty annoying to deal with as a GM. Yeah, like I remember because that was a build that I found. That was it was something that someone suggested on Reddit. And it was, I didn't follow the build exactly, but it was like, yeah, here's a Madness Cleric. You're going to be unhittable, and you're going to make all of his monsters, you know, confused and incompetent. And it's like, the title of the post is like, do you want to make your GM hate you? <laughs> I did not know that. And then as the GM, you're like, hey, look at this cool thing I found. <laughs> <laughs> and that... If so, if you took if you took the pounce out of the equation, I don't think I'd have a single problem with the shifter. I think it's a really cool concept. Um, but even with that said, like it was in a campaign where, like, having a large sized PC making combat maneuvers against humanoid enemies, like that that's not going to apply for every campaign. So I think there's that specific combo made it especially frustrating. So I wouldn't even say that, uh, that that's how my much, uh, least favorite PC, but how much does or, like the gestalt and, uh, you know, the high level and like the complications play uh-huh. into it. Cause it's gotta be easier to GM a level one, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, Zeno level Zeno just said a little while ago, uh, asking if I was ready for rocket tag, because we've reached that point in the the, the tag, meta. Yeah. yeah, it's basically like once you get to a high enough level, whoever gets to go first really, uh, yeah, like initiative really decides the combat. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, obviously, the class and setting combo for the shifter and skull and shackles was a big. That was like way in Nick's favor and way against my favor, but I think having a scald be in the party to add all these insane buffs, uh, def- that definitely was a big contributor too. It was like you guys were just so optimized by the end of that. Like it's it's really hard to know for sure. Like if the shifter was even a problem or if it was just the sum of all right. the parts. Yeah, yeah, that um, was that was definitely a, a contention with when Nick was building Ivan, like he built him to be optimized to work with Devoth as mm-hmm. well as possible. That's yep. true. And then we almost killed Devoth like two sessions later after Ivan got introduced with that yep. uh, choker yeah. or whatever it was. Yep. Killed Tuck Tuck instead though. Yep. R.I.P. Um, uh, all right. Let's, let's do one more question and we'll go to the next thing. Uh, we'll go back to Zeno from discord uh, since one of his questions, the first question I answered was already partially answered anyway. Uh, what rooms, enemies, and challenges were left unexplored in Gallowspire? Uh, how fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's see. We'll go to the first level. And you guys explored probably half. I'd say half of the first level. The northern half of the map 
had two encounters that you did not do. Uh, one of them kind of came to you when you teleported back the next day. It was that uh, uh, golem and vampire that like charged into the room that you fought the uh, the tempest guards in. Yeah, the vampire that like I had to turn and kind of deal with because I was the only one that could see it while it was still invisible. Yes. So in one room, it was like this partially flooded room that had this like grave sludge thing in it that's... Uh, I don't think it would have really given you guys much trouble, but there's a cool magic item. I think it's a ring of spell knowledge, I think. I think it, it it's works for, like, prepared casters, and it just kind of comes with a spell already, like, put into it. And then as a prepared caster, you can, like, you can just prepare it, I think, even if it's not in your spell book or something like that. I forget exactly how it works, but it's a cool magic item. I and think- if I'm remembering correctly, it's like you're always considered to have it prepared. Uh, yeah, I could be wrong. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other encounter had the other half of the Fellwood Irregulars in it. Um, yeah, I kind of was meaning to ask about them because, yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was like, were they were they the ones that set up all like the ropes and shit through Gallowspire? Nope, those were the Grave Knights. I figured nope. they just wouldn't have bothered because falling damage is like nothing for undead. Well, they had to control their descent. Like the, it wasn't like, all right, we're at the bottom of the crater, time to enter. Like, because they're entering like halfway through, like halfway down the crater, so they wanted to, you know, be able to control where they entered. Um, the Felward Irregulars were still alive. They were actually. They they entered Gallowspire, immediately got overwhelmed, and got chased deeper into Gallowspire, and then kind of locked themselves in this vault, and have since been like trying to figure out how they're getting how they're getting out of here, and like just if they can if that's even an option. Um, and meanwhile, there is a an undead creature called I think it's pronounced a Debic. The Debic, yeah. Yeah, it's an incorporeal undead, and it can kind of, like, shadow possess somebody. So, like, it's, like, you know, it's inside of you, but it can kind of, like, control when it, like, takes control of you, but it's otherwise kind of riding, like, riding your flesh, uh, flesh bot in the meantime. And it's been kind of, like, it's it's been listening to them talk, and it's gone, like, all right, like, if these guys get out, they'll lead me to, like, the Knights of Ozum, and, like, that'll be cool for me and then when the pc show up it'll be like ah no these guys are like these are the big deals so then like that's when it would like attack uh trying to possess one of you guys we actually had somebody on discord talking about how they're running tyron's grasp and they had just done this encounter and i don't think they'd completed it at uh i don't think they've completed it yet but the debic had successfully uh possessed somebody and they're like waiting to see how that how, how that would uh how that pans out yeah, yeah, they that said it like fun. it possessed their tank and like what had almost killed their 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 healer or something like that. Yeah. Um so yeah, that would have been uh, a lot of fun. And if you had found the Fellwood Irregulars and successfully freed them, they would have by the time you got out, they would have joined the rest of the Fellwood Irregulars and would have provided you a bigger bonus on your checks to uh influence the uh Althun's honor guard not that you ended up needing it but um yeah so that was uh that was something that you skipped um 
And let's go to the second floor, which I think is, I think you like fully cleared. Um, the only thing you didn't like, so there's like that hallway that just kind of goes down from, uh, southeast from the bone pit where you fought the skeleton dragon. Um, and that just goes off the edge of the map. Uh, so like, there's like nothing in the AP for that. I didn't really have anything specifically planned for it. I think it got cut from the episode, but you guys started to go down the hallway and I was like describing how like the hallway just kept going and going and going. And like you had your light radius, but that only went so far. So like you've been walking for a little while and all you can see in one direction is like the edge of the light radius. You look back the other way. All you can see is the edge of the, the other edge of the light radius. And I think eventually you guys were like, you know what? Let's just not. Now let's talk about the bottom floor, which is definitely what you skip the most of. Uh, I say that, but I think it's just the most surface area. Right. Um, Every room down there was gigantic. Yeah. So you really... So counting the room that Teoblith stumbled into, there was only four rooms that you guys hadn't uh, gone into. Starting with that room, it was uh, a it was a lich who and like the story behind that guy is like with the with Gallowspire sealed the way it was like a lot of a lot of undead like eventually like just kind of atrophied and like broke down after nine hundred years of inactivity, especially undead that like required uh, like sustenance like quote unquote like vampires you know like. They like they need to feed on uh, humanoids. I don't know if they need to, but like, it, like it sucks for them if they don't. Um, but one one category specifically uh, took a pretty big hit, and that was conjurers because they couldn't really practice their craft while they were cut off from everything. Um, and actually, I think the way it worked was that you could call an outsider into Gallowspire, but once it was in there, it was just stuck forever. Um, because, like, nothing could leave. Uh, so, basically, conjurers are like, well, I can't just keep doing that. There's only so much space in here. So, this lich was a conjurer. And when Tarbafan, like, took all of his guys and they're like, let's go to Renchurch. He was like, all right, but, like, I kind of suck right now. So, I'm just going to stay behind and, like, brush up on, you know, what I do. So, Teoblith stumbled into him calling a bunch of bone devils to just kind of you know, grease the wheels again. Um, had you guys returned to Gallowspire, um, like if you had, instead of going to curse, if, uh, instead of going to curse and like shutting the witch gates off, if you had like just teleported to the surface and like done another night's rest or something like that before going back into like the end game stuff that you were doing, uh, he would have been ready for you because initially he would have, he was like, all right, that guy's gone. Like, I don't care. But, like, then when you destroyed the wall of force and the fog and the fog cloud, like, dispersed through all of Gallowspire, like, he knows what that means. So that's when he was, he'd be like, oh, was that, like, a legit intruder? Like, ah, sh uh, shit, I'm going to get in trouble. Um, and then he, you know, he went and he, like, explored. He went, like, he went down. He would have discovered that the Wiesagat Cacks got destroyed. Um, but he would have he would have like gotten to the point where he's like, all right, the Sphinx is still here, so like, but they might be back, and like these guys are no joke if they kill those Wisigakak. So I gotta prepare. So I had a little encounter planned where he had a small army of devils 
ready for you guys. Um, but that never came of anything. Um, I will say I was a little um, disappointed that we didn't get back to that guy because, as we now know, Teoblith, he spent the last like century working with the Hell Knights, who are well known for associating with devils. Like they saw him to work with devils all the time. So like Teoblith doesn't necessarily have an issue with the undead. And he's kind of familiar with devils, so he would have he would have been really interested in just like, hey, what you doing? <laughs> like, just just talking to the guys, see what's going on. Yeah, what's your contract just... look like? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but like that was just something we never came back to. So I was like, yeah, yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little. I don't think it would have been anything you guys couldn't handle, but the the sheer number of devils and like the way like he. He would have looked at you guys and been like, "All right, look, look at our, took one look at our genius and was like, "All right, he's the squishy caster." Took one look at Teal and he's like, "All right, he's the he's the archer," and like kind of delegated his devils accordingly. Uh, it, could, it would have been a very uh, a wild encounter, um, but oh well. Uh, then the only and then there's like another room. It was like the mirror image of that room that had like all like the little doors that met, that went to uh, like just personal chambers. Uh, if you kept going past that, it was just a mirror image of that. Um, and then, so that was like, like two o'clock on the, uh, like the big wheel that is the bottom level of Galaspire. And then the, the mirrored image room was at like 10 o'clock of that room. Then you keep going all the way down get to like seven o'clock. And there was just another room that had a is either a huge or an elder fire elemental and a huge or elder earth elemental that were just kind of leftover uh, laborers from when Tarbafon was like employing elementals to do shit in his crypt that would have attacked you. But uh, that was it for the encounters that you skipped. Um, I want to rope in another thing into this question, which was... um, when you guys were dealing with Althun, I mentioned that there were all these little choices uh, spaced throughout book four that were all culminating in this uh, negotiation, giving you uh, benefits or you know lack thereof based on how you handled different encounters throughout this uh, book. Um, there were a couple that you missed. Uh, one of them was the Fellwood Irregulars that you didn't uh, get to on the first floor. The other was the inevitable that you killed on the second floor that was not a forced combat. You could have diplomatized your way past that, which I know is... We uh, did. We used shovel diplomacy. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the best kind of diplomacy. <laughs> but I remember of all the encounters, uh, that one was one that I remember Tom was like, maybe we can diplomatize our way past this. And everyone was like, no, fuck that. Let's just kill this thing uh, not everyone <laughs> joe was like no fuck that. Let's kill this thing uh it was not a guaranteed uh like all you had to do is like not fight it and it would have backed down um i don't remember what like the the check was or what but yeah you could I think have i had like some absurd i think i was like at a 32 or 35 with that check i think the, i remember i think the 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 problem was that he was already fighting. Like if if he charged at you guys and you as a group, like instead of fighting him, went like, whoa, 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 we're not here to fight. Like that would have then like triggered the 
the chance to do a diplomacy, but this guy was like just so broken that he wasn't he wasn't about to like while somebody else was fighting him, he wasn't going to stop and listen to somebody who was trying to be diplomatic. Um, but had you managed to uh, get through that with diplomacy, he would have left Gallowspire after saying like like. Oh, like basically, he didn't realize that he could just leave. He like he didn't know that the Great Seal was destroyed, um, and like he saw you guys, and he was just like, "Oh no, more prisoners!" Like I, I need to just put them out of their misery so they don't wind up like me. Um, but like if you had like just gotten him to stop and realize that he could just leave, he would have been like, "I will repay this," and then like just how like you had like the people kind of. Like the fellow with the regulars being like, hey, how's it going? In the middle of the negotiations. And uh, then that one guy being like, thank you. You saved my husband. Like this guy would have just fucking appeared like with a peal of thunder and been like, I have come to repay my debt and like given you like, I forget what he gives. I think he like leaves a mark on you that lets you like cast like heroism on yourself like once in the next week or something. And he's like, all right, bye. And then he just leaves. Um, like in the middle of these negotiations, but like, this is an inevitable, which is a lawful neutral outsider and you're negotiating against paladins. They would have been like, Oh, Hmm, that's impressive. So that would have, uh, dang, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been just another really funny, just showstopper. Like you guys are trying to negotiate this and they're like, how could we possibly trust you? And it's like, like, hi, yeah, you guys helped me. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) <laughs> so I had a question on the Althoon thing because the whole time I was thinking, what happens if we tried to use force in that encounter? Yeah, uh, you would have. We would have had to kill him. There would have been a combat. Yeah, there would have like. Oh yeah, how would that have worked? I mean, <laughs> so th- uh, fortunately for Teoblith, he can fly, and most of the paladins could not. Otherwise, they would have fucking dogpiled on the singular evil. Uh, enemy okay yeah there was a reason i had Tealith use his fly ability mentally like during that conversation just in case it turned bad yeah just in case um, okay now althun had winged boots so he would have been able to go after teoblith now <laughs> these guys would not have been able to brute, port- brute force their way past you especially since with the exception of teoblith none of you are evil so like their greatest buff smite evil just doesn't work um, okay, but um, one one thing that they would have employed and possibly fairly successfully is all of the honor guard paladins would have attempted to disarm anybody that they could reach of their weapons. Um, and good like, thing I got a lock. Yeah, Althun's got his locked gauntlet, but so Althun has one too, huh? Or sorry, Uhtred's got his locked gauntlet. <laughs> Um, but I think with a couple of like flanking and maybe like an assist on some, on like the primary disarmer, like they would have had a decent chance of still getting that sword from, uh, Uhtred. Meanwhile, Althun didn't have disarm, but he did have Sunder. So he would have just flown up to Teoblith and tried to just chop his bow in half. Um, and I looked into it. I was like, does smite evil... How does that interact with sundering a weapon fr- like off of an evil person? And the best I could tell was the attack roll applies, but the damage bonus doesn't. Um, but I, if he had gotten a couple sunders off of Teoblith, that bow would have just been kaput. Um, oh, boy. 
And yeah, if they could disarm and sunder your weapons from you, like that would have turned into a much trickier combat than if they just tried to brute force their way through you guys. They'd um, never see my backup scimitar coming. They probably wouldn't have. That would have been a, <laughs> a fucking scimitar. yeah. Oh no, my scimitar! I, I Aha! Would say you never live home without your backup scimitar. <laughs> um, before we get too much further, um, yes, uh, who was it? Zeno brought up a good point. You you talked a lot about stuff we missed in Gallusfire. I did not hear anything about that last grave night. So where the fuck was that thing? He's in Geb. <laughs> yeah, he's kicking his feet up. He he didn't go. Um, he, he stayed behind as the, he's like the head of Geb's secret police. And so when they were like, all right, gang, it's time to all go get a Razni, Like they were kind of like, but this guy's got to stay because somebody needs to like, a has gone. She's not like, uh, she's not running Gallo. She's not running Geb. So this is already kind of like a, uh, like managerial disaster but one of us needs to stay and just make sure that like geb doesn't just fall to pieces while we're all gone so he he is where the fuck is geb 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 uh, i think he's in geb yeah he he does not take part in like the day-to-day management of the kingdom that's beneath him at this point yeah um interestingly enough i didn't realize that paisa was working on a geb centric ap but apparently that remaining Grave Knight does have a significant role in that AP because they assume that all of those Grave Knights perish uh, in their mission right, to retrieve Arasni. Yeah, because second edition, like the lore of second edition just assumes that all of the first edition APs were successful as written. Yeah, and maybe that's a disappointing answer, but I'm sometimes yeah. the simplest answer is the one that is the one that you get. Oh. All right. Now I don't feel so bad for missing it at least. Yeah. Um well, if you had missed it, it probably uh, Emeritus would, would have Yeah, would have come in with Emeritus, yeah. Yeah. Um okay. Let's move on. Let's do another round table. Uh favorite character moment. We had a lot. Uh I think I'll, I'll go first. It's It's definitely a bit of a tie. Like I I feel like I have to go with talking to myself and just that whole conversation between like bringing Rogier back in and that situation with Arasni. But it's really hard to beat like just the pure encapsulation of who Tiablith is of him flying back up that cliff, being chased by a dragon, calling all the others idiots for not scattering already. That was <laughs> really good. Yeah. 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 Funniest moment and favorite character moment are not always mutually exclusive. Yeah. I really enjoyed um it was early on in the book Randolph having a kind of a bonding moment with Elsie at Castle Fawnum. Where oh, that was nice. Where Elsie kind of admits that like she doesn't really know like she's still like piecing a bunch of stuff together like she doesn't know how she feels about Thalias. Like she feels like maybe like she was taken advantage of, but she doesn't know for sure. She doesn't know if those if those feelings are genuine or if they're like, you know, just uh they just came with her being like awoken by Arasni. Like so, she's like she's like feeling vulnerable, but you know, at the same time, she's trying to like be transparent with Randolph. Uh, so I I thought that was a cool. 
thought that was a cool dynamic and uh, just a, a nice moment. Yeah, I like all the uh, confusion, you know, that goes into some of this stuff where it's like, especially with Randolph, uh, you know, personally, I've had a lot of fun with the, the Elias Randolph thing and you throw Elksy on top of that and it's just this fucking tangled web of what the hell is going on. And it's it's been really fun to role play and build that story. Yeah, it is. It is stuff that does not have an like. You can't just like open up the rule book and be like, "How does this work?" Like this is all yeah, just best guess and like what what makes the coolest story. Yeah, I would definitely have to say uh, one one moment that I'm particularly kind of excited for is the moment that like. Elias's backstory kind of unfolds into why is he infinitely reborn into like not only his body but in several different bodies uh and states he's gotta save the world bro <laughs> force of will baby <laughs> can't trust these fucks <laughs> <laughs> they keep dying <laughs> they keep letting me die how could i possibly trust them with this mission <laughs> oh my god that's perfect what's that uh i forget who it is i would never want to be a club a part of a club uh of someone who would have me as a member <laughs> forget who said that that's that's a great quote that's sort of similar vein yep i i get that um i got a second one and i just gotta i gotta go with uh when the group uh met the Tarbat on Phylactery. Yeah, that was super fun. Um, yep, that was definitely a good one. We can uh, partially thank Lord Richter for that moment, actually, because um, he was he was telling me how much fun it would be if Yando could come back somehow, and I forget the specifics of that conversation, but I was like, I think I could probably do something with that, and it God just damn it, it eventually grew into uh into that encounter as we didn't deserve yando <laughs> as it was written in best. as it was written in the book it was just gonna be like like just the phylacteries just hanging out and then you like everybody shows up and he's just like what are you doing in my house then he's just like super mad at everybody like that's that's his i talked about this on dice and salt but if in case you know anybody didn't miss it like i i'm really not a fan with how the AP handles Tarbafon as a character. Um, he's very one-dimensional, and there's very, very little. Um, there's very little work done to help the GM figure out, like how Tarbafon would like how how to roleplay Tarbafon. Like anytime there's a significant interaction with a significant NPC. They almost always include, like, here are some likely questions that the PCs would ask this NPC, and here are the corresponding answers that that NPC would give. And it's, like, in-character answers, so it, like, helps you get, un- like, into that character's skin. And then on top of that, there's usually some, like, here's this person's motivations, and here's their goals. And, like, you get that with Tarbafon, but, like, it's it's just so bare bones and like his one personality trait is like angry um so that building that encounter kind of really helped me uh make Tarbafon what i think is a was a much more engaging uh bad guy 
instead of just and he shakes his fist at you and he's like ah you weak <laughs> you weaklings i'll show you what for uh which is like more or less what uh like how how he's written which i guess would be fine like it's it's fine but i just felt like he deserved uh a bit more of a memorable encounter even as just a phylactery yeah that's sweet props to richter for uh for co-authoring that with you there (laughs) or you know helping you develop that that's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i i see some requests for the voice um you will yeah you'll get the voice uh in the a bonus episode that we'll be releasing uh sometime before next week's episode drops so just have some patience yeah um before we move on to just while we're still on character moments i just oh sorry i I, uh, just really quick, I kept saying phylactery. I meant simulacrum. Okay. It was Harvey von Simulacrum. Um, yes. Uh, before we move on, while we're still talking character moments, I have to bring up just the the constant like sniping back and forth with Tiablith and Kishikish. Like that oh, was yeah. just yes. some well, exceeding. It was such fun role playing in between. <laughs> just like I feel like it just really encapsulated like the two characters going back and forth at each other too. <laughs> Yes, that was a lot of fun. Kishikish is such a, just a, a fun, enabling personality. And then Kishikish is just like, hey, you, like, <laughs> do what I want. And it's like, man, you just picked the one way to interact with this guy where he just does not like you. <laughs> Tia both finds that in a lot of people. I just say, to be yeah. fair, he chooses the one way most people don't like. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Do we have any other uh, favorite character moments? I'm trying to think of some Uhtred ones, and I keep coming back to just all really sad things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reminded of you said you listed as your favorite encounter, but the point where uh, you are fighting Vipira's mom, I think that was really powerful. Like leading up to that fight, that was a pretty cool character moment for Uhtred, where like yeah. She's like it felt like kind of getting good closure on Vipir's death because we kind of didn't really get that under the circumstances of like yeah the city's gone to shambles like Vipir just got bitch slapped by Sito yep that sucks but, there's just uh, no time to yeah. to process that yeah actually I think I'm gonna go for Uhtred with Zeno just right in the Discord he's been all over it tonight um I think Uhtred basically getting pissy with a Razni uh on the second to last episode was a was a big moment for him just for the context of like I mean I think he says it at one point like yeah sure you you could kill me if you want to but like I'll make sure there's at least a scar there to remember me Ugh, there's and, there's a and lot for him there's a lot to that like with his past and that feeling of failing and never living up to his name like he just looked at fucking the queen of geb and said like come on bitch yeah and that was ap- that was a very uh, a very big moment very cool moment for utrid and i don't want to take away from that um but there was there's a lot going on like under the hood with arasni in that moment that i feel like i just can't talk about just yet because I, I I just mentioned the like a big bonus episode that we've got dropping before next week's episode. It's gonna have a lot of uh cracks filled in to 
Erasny's end of things. Um, so I, I think I just want to, I'll just leave it at that. But Erasny had a lot going on when she had that conversation with the PCs. And had she not, uh, if like if Uhtred said something like that to her, like at Nadari's Bastion, uh, she she she's had a, quite a character arc behind the scenes since then. I think Uhtred would have regretted uh, <laughs> making that dare. Um, to be fair, though, without giving any spoilers, I feel like Uhtred played a big part in that character arc. He did, uh, for sure. But he has no idea that he did. That's that's completely true. <laughs> <laughs> completely oblivious to that fact. Yep. Hey, sometimes it's better to be lucky. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, any other moments before we move on? Uh, yeah, just another call out to you, Blith, running uh, scared for an entire combat. <laughs> Great moment. Hey, hey, uh, it was like, like three combats. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yep. Some extra plus one on that. I, we already discussed it. But, uh... Those are great character moments. Yep. The, the, I, the I, best character moments are when the characters have no agency, I've always said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I think I, I've brought this up ad nauseum, but God, that was, as a player, that is like the most frustrating thing. And like, it is. I understand like the game should have some kind of mechanical penalty for fear effects. And I understand that this place is designed to instill those things into player characters. But there is nothing more frustrating as a player than being told, no, you run away, go sit in the corner while the rest of us have fun. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I mean, there are, there are karma, man. There are plenty of conditions or just spells that take your character out of the combat without killing them. But I, I don't know. There's something about needing to run that just kind of hits the hardest yeah like you could you get hit with like a maze spell and you're just stuck in an like there's no saving throw you're just stuck in this extra dimensional maze and the only way out is to make a dc 20 intelligence check each round and in the meantime you're just not in the combat i, I um, think that's the problem because you don't get that that potential to get out each round it's just Oh, I fucked up once, and now I'm going to pay for it the whole combat. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, yeah, fear is definitely, uh, it's it's hard because it's 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 top tier punishment. And, like, there, there's got to be an upper limit somewhere. And I think it's, it works for, like, the balance of the game where, like, it's the, it's the, it's the worst punishment you could get. But getting that punishment just sucks so much um yeah anyway uh let's see let's move on to character growth uh let's go around one at a time and well like just have like an open discussion one character at a time and talk about you know different different player characters and how they changed over the course of book four or you know even before that if applicable. Um, so my question is, do we want to start or end with Uhtred? Should probably end with Uhtred since that's definitely going to be the, probably the bulk of this. Okay. So who do we want to start with? Uh, I'll go first if you want. Perfect. Um, yeah. So there's so much 
going on. So much to unpack with uh, Randolph and Elias, who is yeah. now Elias in Randolph's body. <laughs> I'm not really sure where all this is headed, you know, to be honest. It's almost like, um, remember in Tropic Thunder, a dude playing a dude and he forgets who he is? Hell yeah. You know? <laughs> there's definitely some of that, like at this point, there's definitely like a who the hell am I, what am I doing here type <laughs> type story going on in uh in Thelias. I mean he's got his overarching mission and his allegiances and stuff, but like with a with a real healthy dose of uh of that going on. And it's good, you know, talking about Uhtred that he has really stepped up to be the man because I don't it's really hard for Thelias to have been oh my god if leading if, anything with if the group was looking to Thelias to lead them <laughs> could, yeah, Jesus yeah, Christ imagine? no like at this point in time it would be absolutely absurd um so yeah that's that's been the biggest thing with uh Thelias is like just what in the hell <laughs> like where where do we go from here what about Randolph though cuz he was there for half of book yeah. 4 well so Randolph was Randolph was Getting that's why it's such a stark contrast. He dies, and then Elias just comes in. And you're like, "What the fuck is going on?" Randolph was. I was feeling great with Randolph. I thought he was in an excellent spot. <laughs> yeah, I did too. Yeah, Randolph really just, was coming into his own. Yeah, and then just like, oh, <laughs> uh, fucking dead. Just like throw- Elias is in his body. It's all it's fucking yeah. ridiculous. Just like throwing that gallo dead on top of the fucking grave night fight. Yeah, was just like a recipe for Randolph, the the big, you know, front facing tanky guy to just take a massive beating. Yeah, and then a little, and then the bad luck running away. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, that fight, I I didn't run away. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Uh, You ended up going up to the level above us. Yeah, I I forget what that. No, that was the Randolph fight. It was in the same room, but that was the Randolph Ghost fight. I maybe you didn't run away in that one. Uh, maybe not. It's like a year ago, or not quite. <laughs> yeah. But I I remember Tia running no, my, away from time. I remember Tia being out of commission and broke. That was it. Ah, uh, yeah. I I crit failed and my bowstring broke, and I had to spend around like restringing that. Okay. And that was like when Joe. That was when Randolph died. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to you know bake an egg right on top of my face, but um. Randolph's death was probably the single biggest oopsie uh in terms of my decision to include the have have healing mechanic um because I think it was in that same round that his uh his trinket procked cuz he oh, he yeah. went below yeah. half health and he and Joe was like all right yeah big heal here it comes and it was like 12 <laughs> or something uh and then just the round proceeded, and he just didn't. He never made it past that. Yeah, it was because that basically allowed one of those attacks to leave him at one health. Yep, which is just like asking to be killed at this level. Yeah, no one's nothing's yeah. gonna do less than like sixteen damage in a hit at this level. Yeah, Joe fucking yeah, loves to wind up out. with in in that that range of hit points. Well, I always forget that that's the bad. Because for me, less than zero is a problem. Right. Anything more than zero, you've got a chance. I mean, you, you don't but... exactly. You usually <laughs> don't have much of a say in where you wind up. So, like, it's, I'm not. Right. I'm not saying like you're doing it on purpose, but 
It just seems yeah. to happen to you way more Although often I than I feel like else. Joe is the last person to be like, oh, guys, I'm really hurting. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he's he's more, very much more like... More than not, he'll be like... I don't know what we would have uh, been able to do about it, I have four it, hit points. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I say that, we. Well, we have other healings. <laughs> that is the classic thing with Joe. Like, hey, Joe, how you doing at Health Bites? Oh, I'm at four. Just like nonchalant. <laughs> like, like, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Because like, I can see the health bars. Um, So, uh, like, I knew that he was super low. But I keep forgetting that the rest of you can't. So when yeah. Joe's like, I'm at four, it's like, what? Well, also, I try to emote, you know, when I get hit. Because sometimes you'll hit me being in the front line for like 50. I'll be like, ah, yeah, <laughs> that was half my life. <laughs> Just so we're all, yeah, you know, one more of those and I'm on the floor. <laughs> so, yeah, no, uh, it was. Do you think that. Just a weird development getting hit with like a, you know, reset like that. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like. Get in a car crash or something. We're like, <laughs> lose the ability to walk. Like, fuck, man, what the hell? Yeah. Like, what do I do now? I gotta rebuild all this shit. You know. Like, do you think there's any Randolph lingering? I think there definitely is, and I think uh, that's gonna be the development. You know, that goes on for Elias now. It's like he's back, but so what? Like, what is up with this bond between them and the? Yeah. There's there's still something there. I don't know what it, I don't know what it is, but we'll find out. No, oh, we just got a great contribution from uh Lady Richter. Uh when do we get the masked Thalias? <laughs> the masked Thalias. Oh my god. Uh yeah, he he doesn't know who he is, so he has to put on a mask or something. <laughs> the masked shovel. <laughs> no one knows who I was before I put on the mask. <laughs> Everyone's like, hey, Thelias. He's like, damn it. <laughs> damn it. Mask Thelias, what a stupid name. I mean, isn't he kind of the mask Thelias already? He's got literally someone else's face that on. Holy shit, I think you're right. He's like, he couldn't oh, be any shit. more masked. Uh, he's like, but wow. he's like Leatherface. And if yeah. you look at it, that like cuts that. deep, Nick. Jesus. Yeah. All right, uh, who wants to go next? Uh. I, uh, yeah, I will. Um, so, uh, so we start with the Crimson Herald, who got uh, you know, came in as God. I don't even remember what his actual name was. Came came in as his his alter ego, and then basically took his hat of disguise back from Randolph and donned his proper identity as the the Crimson Herald, and then promptly died. A lot of development and, there. Yep. 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 Oh yeah. And then we got well, Brilliter. Hold on. Who, uh, I have a question about him because oh, yeah. when we first had that meeting in Castle Everstan with a Razni, Castle Fall, he was like or Ca- Bastion. No, Everstan. Darius Bastion. No. Yeah. Either way, when we had yep. that encounter, and she was like, "Here, go through, walk through this portal, and you'll be like on the edge." Um. Crix was the last one out, and he like turned to her and was like, he said something insinuating, almost like I work, you know, like I work for you. Mm-hmm. Like I'll do my. Was part. he like a direct agent of Erasni? Like, oh no, he was. Um, I mean, it really was just kind of a way for us to introduce him to the group. Basically, I th- think the way Alex and I place this out was 
that uh, I think was it. I know it was um, Elksy is the one that kind of found him. I think in in or near Vigil, and like brought him to Arasni. Yes, and then he was just he was just there, and when he saw you guys fighting the Katobal Pass, he hopped on Elksy and like galloped on over there to help and that was that was just his introduction that was his thing he, he, he wasn't literally working for a Razni. he was just like elksy found him and brought him there to recover yeah and like, he, he like, knew had that a ball and everything he knew that a was there but he like they ha- like they hadn't already had like like a big conversation or anything uh just like i, I think a was like i don't want to repeat myself like there's more people coming we'll just wait for that yeah um yeah, but then we got Brilliter, who had his cameo where he tripped a bunch of people, and that was about it. But Teoblith, ah, oh, Teoblith, he—I think Teoblith might be the most fun I've had role playing a character because just like <laughs> he is just very much what I am not in real life. Like in in a conversation with someone, like I I I have a tendency to jump into silences to try and fill them with what I think the other person is going to say. It's like one of the things that I know I do and I'm annoyed by it and I try not to do it. And just that, but generally speaking, I'm very conciliatory in conversation. Whereas I'm like intentionally going the opposite way with Tealith. I'm making him as just abrasive as I can. Just like he does not care what your thoughts on what he says is he's just going to he, like he's going to say it whether you like it or not he doesn't have that that filter that i personally do where like i'm constantly thinking about what i'm about to say like i'm constantly having discussions in my head when i'm talking to someone Whenever I say something, I've already thought of what they're going to respond with, how I'll respond to that, and then how they'll respond to that before I even say that. Sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) It absolutely is. (laughs) So, like, so just just to play this character that is confident enough in his own intelligence to just say the first thing and know that he is smart enough to overcome whatever counter argument you're going to throw at him is really yeah. refreshing yeah and like That's cool I've, I've said this before but like devoth was a lot of fun to role play because he had that that confidence and he had a bit of an asshole streak to him at times but teoblith just is an asshole oh yeah yeah and i'll, <laughs> I'll say this like matt has the capacity to like to to be an asshole but like only when it's like among like very good friends and like just for the sake of like ah oh, you set me up for that but like otherwise matt doesn't have a bad bone in his body like he's one of the nicest people that i know and uh, my knees are kind of shitty giant. <laughs> um but yeah and and so then he's role playing Blith, who's like he's Per, he's accidentally not accidentally mean to everybody. Yep. Yep. It's quite the juxtaposition. And Matt's not even that big. I'm probably bigger. <laughs> okay. <laughs> probably bigger. As far as uh, as far as development, 
Teoblit's been a bit of a straight line. Yeah, uh, he's is he capable of development? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's been a well, lot. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's and, and he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room every time, right? So and he has been up until this point. Up until uh, the lies he made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like I will say that he's he does he has had some development, and it's one of those. This always feels like such a cop out, but like he's had like internal development that just hasn't quite it doesn't feel like it's manifested in his mannerisms but that's so he's, more... he's normally worse than what we've experienced is what you're saying no no he's always an abrasive <laughs> asshole but you're he's... you're getting the polished final draft of everything right. we're he says. The gentle <laughs> no 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 like, <laughs> um like he's he's over the course of this adventure he is coming to have like affection for this group he is becoming more protective of this group he just hasn't really had a chance to showcase that because it's all just been you know survival fight for your life stuff every step of the way oh i i disagree with that there was a point where you (laughs) you actually jumped in uh to get me out of there by using uh freedom of uh movement yeah and like i said that was the one time where i had the opportunity to let our genus die and i'm not sure how if i regret that or not (laughs) Uh, i'll take that as a compliment as uh, low as it feels it's actually a pretty high one our genus has been the one wearing down the best friend train on him too like <laughs> yep. no matter how mean uh teeble has been back or jesus just like he's not so bad i do really like that dynamic I, yeah i do feel like he is gonna get him eventually it's just a it's like a attempts you know like one of them has to be successful like eventually he's gonna accidentally become his friend he'll trip 20 yeah. eventually just just gotta yeah. keep going for it i am curious to see what it will look like when uh, Tia Blith's uh, growing camaraderie finally manifests. It probably won't look great, but <laughs> it'll be like a oh my god! Like what a big step for Tia Blith. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was that was about it. Like, and again, it, it is a little tough to gauge a lot of character development because we haven't had much opportunity to interact with people outside of our immediate group. Uh, all right. How about our genus? Yeah, uh, our genus is. Uh, I like his dynamic with the group. I think he's been like. Um, I think he's like I don't I don't know where he sits with the group, but he knows he sits with the group. You know what I mean? Like he's comfortable in that space. Anyone he's around with at this point in time that like comes into the Erasni, uh, the Erasni, or sorry, the Phrasma five or four. Is it four at this point? Five. It's four. Four. Yeah. Anybody that comes in at the, in, in the Phrasma four fold at this point is just an absolute best friend. And Arginus just wants to know everything about them. That's so uh, funny that Arginus has a rotating door of best friends. Yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> Revolving door. <laughs> Hello, new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, it's like um, Doug from Up. I just yes. met you, he, and I love you. 
<laughs> the Herald cards showed me that you were coming. Uh, yeah, so I, I think I think uh, our genius's development is more going to come from his past uh, than it is going to sh- like show up in this campaign. Um, if you, uh, I, I don't want to say if you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> you know you want to. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know where to go with that, but I do, I do think uh, our, our genus's uh, development is like unfolding fantastically. Yeah, uh, and like I said, I, I think that uh, if, if there's a correct way to play a crazy person, it's with yes and. Yep. And I think yep. Tom's doing yep. a good job uh, of keeping that priority in line with our genus's uh, lunacy. Yeah, <laughs> I will say, like, the one thing that I do know how to do is play chaotic characters that, like, in that small little structure, I, I, I like, thrive in there. Yeah, uh, I don't think anyone here would argue with that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, not me. <laughs> Uh, as far as development goes, I feel like he's also currently a bit of a straight line. Uh, we saw we I, we saw a little uh, like genuine humanity come out with the negotiations with Althun. Like Arginus kind of had this very like I don't really care what's going on attitude most of the time. Um, but I think that was like the most emotional he ever got when he was trying to placate Althun's army. He he still had like that, like just mania to him. But like you could see, there is a genuine, a, like a like genuine drive. Like he was being serious, and like the mania was just along for the ride. But he was otherwise like, no, like this is important. We have to do this, and I. I think that was the first time we've really seen that on display. So, I don't know, maybe maybe we'll get more of that or maybe that was just a uh that just came with the stakes of the situation. No, I, w- I would say that 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 uh like as time progresses with more horrifying like details of I mean, Arginus was the only one to like watch the past literally unfold with the uh with the grave knights and yeah though like that was torture for him to watch because i mean even though his uh like he's not stretched out over lifetimes you all kind of saw the level of torture that he was put through in order to put someone else through there uh, you're referring to the the eat flashback, yeah. <laughs> Dude, uh, you, I didn't even know that was. I am oh, quite proud man, that of, was, of that. That was that such scene. a good one, and I'm genuinely excited, like, because that twist in there, oh, that was so fantastic. I didn't even see it coming. Yeah that that scene kind of wrote itself. Like it was it was kind of it was kind of like lightning in a bottle when I like I had the, I knew I wanted to like include something to that effect regarding our genus and yeah just kind of like all spilled out and i'm definitely uh our genus's past is one that i'm most excited and also nervous about 
diving into because it involves like prophecies and shit and i don't usually like those but there's also other stuff that uh i do like like the thing that i actually wrote so like torture (laughs) like torture yeah you you guys know me (laughs) I'm, i'm always down for that um all right so let's uh Let's get to the meat and potatoes of the character development and talk about Uhtred. I mean, I think it's easy to do Uhtred because he's just been around the whole time. So it's very fluid to kind of see it. Um, I think the thing that I, I really wasn't expecting or planning on was getting in that headspace to like roleplay pain. And like hurt and like loss and all that, like so many times, I almost find like myself numb to it. And that's now starting to develop in Uhtred, like when Keisha Keish died. Like, yeah, it was just another grave. Yeah, like life is almost slowly starting to lose like its importance to Uhtred, right? Like, we're running out of people that he even like cares about left living and getting close to kind of that line of like, what does it even matter anymore? Um, I think that's why going to see Rogar was such a big deal. Like now do this right now. And I think that was also being fueled a lot by the fact that Keisha Keish kind of served this role for Uhtred and coming from a military background of like, you have your, ranking officer you report to them there's like that back and forth communication and kind of like you know bouncing of ideas and stuff and Keisha Keish kind of has really served that role for Uhtred since they got back so being able to get to Royar and give him Keisha Keish's card was also important because Uhtred kind of needed to refill that position right he needs someone to keep him grounded and keep him motivated going forward like no matter how bad things got since the minute we got back to the material plane there was always that connection to all right well i'm gonna write to keisha keish right and i know i'm gonna get a response back like and i think that really was an important thing for Uchi getting as far as he has. I I think that if you looking at book 1 Uhtred versus book 4 Uhtred, especially end of book 4 Uhtred, um especially like ju- like you could argue justified or not his pushback against Arasni in that penultimate episode that we would have I don't think we would have ever seen that out of Uhtred before book four. Um, and I think that it really speaks oh, I, yeah, to, probably not. It, it speaks to just how, uh, how bold he's gotten, um, how little he really, uh, cares for his own life at this point. Yep. But <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's a little distracting how much Uhtred is getting ripped to shreds in the comments on discord right now. (laughs) (laughs) Nick, your rebuttal. My rebuttal is think about what he's gone through. I mean, anyone that disagrees with that, I, I don't think they would 
have any other outcome than what he's coming to. And if they are, I would argue they're just lying to themselves. I mean, really conceptualize what this person has gone through. I mean, in just a 24-hour span after multiple deaths in this last month, Randolph is and Thelias gone together, and then Keisha Keish, and then Elksy. Like, I think what I think the counter to that is take out the fantastical elements of Uchra's experience, and you could probably find a fair number of people in like just the last wall military that have lost uh, people close to them in that succession, uh, if not more so. Uh, and had the same level of loss as Uhtred. Like, like Uhtred lost. Like, U- U- the difference is that Uhtred has had the uh, the agency to do something about it, and has still lost as much as he has. And I, and again, I don't think that him having this attitude is uh, unjustified. But I think that I don't think that it's an unobtainable level of uh, misery for just any ordinary soldier either. No, and I I think that's something that happens a lot with soldiers that see heavy combat, right? Yeah. I mean, call it it shell-shocked, call it battle fatigue, whatever you want. Like, people, it's not good for people to constantly see even people they know dying right next to them, like... And I wouldn't say that Uhtred has, like, lost, like, like he's like, like, ah, whatever, just throw my life away. It's more just, like, <laughs> there's nobody else. The whole time we've been back, he's been like, gotta get to this person to let them know so they can go, like, deal with this, right? So it, it, it's just, it. there is no one. It's him. Yeah, that is... I think that is a huge part of Uhtred's development is, yeah, like you said, the whole time that we were in the Boneyard, it was, we need to get back home. We get back home and home is gone. So now it's like, okay, we need to go warn someone before this happens again. So like step by step, it's it's Uhtred taking on more and more responsibility to now where he's at the point where like he has just resigned himself to my task is to take on Tarbafon and I know that's going to kill me. Yeah. So let's fucking go. <laughs> I think you take you take the level of grief uh, and shell shock and PTSD that Uhtred has, and that's that's something that you can find in in plenty of of, of soldiers, uh, fantasy or otherwise. Um, but then you add on to it the responsibility that Uhtred feels like, and it's it's not all loss. Like he. Like, along with the other PCs, uh, saved thousands of people uh, in Vigil. Um, and, you know, th- that's irrefutable. But I think right. that, well, that, to that point- I think that that only adds to the pressure that Uhtred's putting on himself of, see, I can make a difference. And now that I've seen that, now I have to keep making a difference. I can't stop. Because if I stop, I know what'll happen. Uh, and I will say the, that the vigil example, I feel like, is a perfect encapsulation of of this. Because like, even though it is objectively a massive feat of heroics, how many people that we saved 
from Vigil. The fact that Vigil blew up at all is probably one of the biggest failures weighing on Uhtred. Like the the fact that he saved that many people does not come close to counteracting the failure of letting it happen in the first place. Yeah, I agree with that. Also, uh, I think the fact that book four secludes the PCs from knowing what's going on, right? Like we said, it was basically a month spent in book four and we're completely cut off from like what's going on in the rest of last wall and the inner sea. And like in a couple weeks time, we saw Rossler's coffer and vigil, the capital get exploded. Now we go spend a month cut off. And like, that's why really seeing or seeing getting to Rogar was so important. Right. Cause there was a big part of Utrecht that was like, it, it could already be over. Like, Maybe that city's long gone, like, are yeah, we coming might back be nothing to left. Doomsday type scenario? Um, and I think being in Gallaspire and, like, just the way it is, so dark and, like, pulling, there's, like, there's no happiness there. There's no, you know, light or anything, right? I think book five is going to be very important to whether Uhtred just kind of falls off the cliff into life just doesn't even matter anymore, or does he get reminded of, like, no, okay, here's the other side of all that darkness. Like, you looked into the darkest of the dark, now start seeing some of the light. Yeah. So you could say that Uhtred lived every single day of Book 4 waking up to population unknown. Yeah, kinda. That sounds terrible. (laughs) I mean, that's what it was. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay, let's go back to some questions. We'll go back to J Train on Discord. Uh, question for Alex. So your players deciding to teleport off script to a city, was that pre-talked about or was that spontaneous during the session? Uh, Matt did say he was going to reintroduce his character. We, I think we've more or less uh, answered that by now. Uh yeah, that like that was something that Nick and Matt were talking about. Uh, Nick was like, "Just a heads up, Utra definitely wants to go visit Rogyar. Uh, first chance he gets." Um, I kind of like on the side, off the record, went, "All right, like I understand that you guys want to go visit Rogyar. Like, just I want, I just want to give you guys a little hint. Make sure you have done everything you want to do before you shut off the Witch Gates." Because that will not be the end of book four. Like there is still, there's a little, there's one last stretch of book four before we really end. And shutting off the witch gates kind of kickstarts that whole thing. But that was, that was more or less the, all the, the out of game discussions that went into that little field trip. And let's see, uh, Lady Toast has another question for me. Uh, What were all the choices they could have... We already answered this one, too. What were all the choices they could have made during the book, and were there choices from previous books that affected the the diplomacy? Uh, Referring to uh, the thing with Althun. Um, Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot from previous books that would have affected that interaction. I suppose if they had really gone out of their way to be the most monumental assholes during book three and that like really left an impression, 
there might have been a little bit more bias from the honor guard going into that especially if you if you like combined that with like they just really didn't save a lot of people with like the actions that they took i think that might have affected things a little bit yeah i think that was kind of the big thing was like how far like how far back did these decisions go like like obviously everything in book four kind of came back and had some secret stuff but like how much of our actions in book three had repercussions on that conversation um all right let's continue to another question uh casual chaos asks any plans for the vigil prison break group to continue uh that is of course referring to our episode of meanwhile where we had uh a couple guests from uh the dimension door podcast come on and uh in case anybody listening to this did not tune in for that it was a lot of fun and it was basically when vigil got blown up it has vigil actually has this extra dimensional uh prison which incidentally uh i read about from the book cities of galarian fucking uh, ron <laughs> <laughs> ron strikes again uh and I suppose the AP does bring it up, but it's like this brief thing. It's like, oh, by the way, Vigil has an extra dimensional prison, but the fates of everybody inside is not covered in this AP. Um, but it, it is covered. As, it's got a little bit more information in Cities of Galarian. Um, and I was just like, I was like, what's everybody doing in that prison? And we just kind of figured it out. Um, I do not currently have anything like like planned out i am not i'm not opposed to revisiting that i i left it off kind of cliffhangery uh so that we could go back if we wanted to so yeah i mean i guess it just kind of depends um uh james and amanda from the dimension door podcast uh who were very lovely and a lot of fun last I was aware they were open to coming back and doing more because uh, they also had fun. But I don't know. I don't know when I will have the time to really sit down and plan out like a chapter two for that. If if I find the time and you know I can come up with something that I think would be a worthy uh, part two for that, then yeah, I I'm personally all aboard. Uh, continuing that storyline there's just not currently anything in the uh down the pipe uh well if you do that i'm ready to bring back my uh my guard with a ridiculous midwestern accent <laughs> yep I, i'm ready to play more muscle wizard <laughs> that character was a lot of fun you guys yeah, made the fucking <laughs> wackiest characters for that it was amazing <laughs> <laughs> and uh my personal favorite uh full uh fulbert the frost giant uh (laughs) who dreamed of opening his own uh like tanning uh shop called skin tight furries (laughs) yeah (laughs) but anyway uh so yeah there's that's what i have to say about that uh let's do another question uh xeno asks uh what would have happened if the party offered erasny her lungs earlier in the book i'm not totally sure uh so these lungs were actually uh obtainable in book 3. Um there was a there was a room in the 
the underground temple to Arasni beneath Vigil that nobody went into. And all you had to do was go in there, and it was right there. And it was just like, it's just sitting there, and it's just this fucking, like, hey, anybody want an artifact? It was it's kind of crazy how it's just, like, there. Um, I mean, it was, it was, like, it wasn't just, like, in a random room. Like, the room that it's in was, like, appropriate for, like, if someone was like, I've recovered Razni's lungs. Like, what should I, like, what should we do with them? Like, the room that they were in was like, yeah, like, this is a good spot for them to be kept. Um, but yeah, they never, uh, they just never went into that room. And when Matt was bringing in Teoblith, who was, uh, an occultist who likes magic items, um, and we kind of figured out like after he, you know, got back to the material plane, his first stop would have been, well, let's go see what's going on inside Vigil. Cause that looks very interesting. Uh, I just, I asked if he, I was like, do you want an artifact? And he was like, do I? Um, so that's kind of how we, uh, we, we got that to enter the story regardless. Um, so the, so there's actually a, a passage for when the PCs have their meeting with Arasni at the beginning of book four at Nadari's Bastion, if they're like, we've got your lungs. Uh, and as, as written, Arasni suggests that they hold on to her lungs as a sign of good faith. I think the specific line is I can think of no better no better indication of my uh my intentions or something like that. Okay, yeah, here it is. I got I'll just read it right out of the book. If the PCs produce the bloodstone of Arasni they recovered beneath Vigil, Arasni looks at it with a wistful longing. After considering for a moment she says, with some reluctance Keep that for now. I can think of no better warrant of my peaceful intentions than to let you keep some of my organs in your care. So obviously that that specific interaction would have never happened for us. Um, so, but if when Teoblith showed up and the party was immediately like, is that an artifact? And Teoblith was like, yup. Uh, if they were like, we got to get this back to Arasni she probably would have just taken them because the group had already agreed to uh to go on this mission she knew that Teoblith had them but she it was a great way for her to keep tabs on Teoblith so she figured he's not going to do anything with them uh so i'm just going to let him keep them for now and by the time the group like got back with Arasni at the end of the book, she had other other reasons to not bother demanding it back. So yeah, there's that. Uh, let's do one more question before we move on. Lord Richter asks, how do you approach vocal alterations for some of Alex's characters? What made you think to do that in the first place? There are no vocal alterations. It's all 100% talent <laughs> on my part. That that echo effect with Geb's voice, um, that's me. But and that uh, semi-robotic voice for the inevitable—that was all Alex. Yes. Um, that said, I will uh, I will let Matt answer this because he's <laughs> he's the guy that would know. <laughs> um, I think I think I had I've talked about this with someone. I think it was Lord Richter. I don't know if this was on recording or not. But that kind of 
I think led him to ask this question for the retrospective. But basically, I, I usually just take it as a step by as a case by case basis. Um, a lot of these vocal alterations things harken back to the masked helmet when I was oh, yeah. a baby, a baby sound editor, and I just went like. I want him to sound ridiculous in this helmet. What effect can I throw on there to do that? <laughs> I forgot. And at the time, <laughs> yeah, at the time I ended up using an echo effect, which I now realize I should have been using a reverb effect, but it, it worked out at the time. Um, but then, you know, for the mess, for the rest of Skull and Shackles, there was really only like one or two opportunities to use any sort of different voice um, for that. The one thing that immediately but, comes to my mind was the monster in harrigan's fort yeah uh, yeah. it was but you made it sound like uh uh, i I can't even like describe it it was like echoey like oh it was like like easily yeah it was it was like a bug creature so i tried making it kind of like sound swarmy yeah that was yeah that one was was definitely an experiment but then like with this with this ap there's a lot more monstrous things around so like when we when we were dealing with that dragon, that was like, all right, that thing should have a big, deep, booming voice. So I go through and like, okay, I'm going to change the pitch down. I'm going to give it a little reverb so it booms a bit and just just go from there. Um, it really was just just case by case with um, with Geb's voice. Actually, that did come with a recommendation from Alex. Yeah, that was um, the one thing t- I I had any like. This is what I specifically had in mind for this. Like everything else was just like Matt during editing, just going the extra mile without anybody really asking him to. Yeah, but like I, I still think my favorite might be the inevitable. Like that was such a fun effect to go onto that character, and I just feel like it fit and worked really well with that particular person. Yep. All right, let's move on uh, to. So we did. Uh character growth let's talk about just general thoughts on book four initial lasting impressions the story the characters the pacing (laughs) i mean i think we all we all knew what what tom thought about it uh (laughs) but yeah like what 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 do you guys what do you guys have to say about book four and if it's just universally a disliked book then you know whatever i guess (laughs) i feel like when we look back on this, it's going to be a bit of a highlight of our gaming experience, but it was fucking exhausting to go through. Yeah. It feels like an open wound. And like yeah. after, I think I can look back on it. But right now, boy. Yeah, once it heals, it's a fun story. But right now, it just hurts. Yeah. I mean, if if I may, that's the whole point. Yeah. Like No, we know. <laughs> We know. <laughs> like you're going to Gallowspire. It's the it's the most dangerous place in the world, just about. Uh like just getting there should be arduous and torturous. And then once you're there, like even more so. And like that's just kinda like I I think that Paizo made sure that that was like really hammered in, and I understand why, you know, somebody would just read this from the outside or experience it firsthand. Just be like, no, I hate it. I don't like it. Like, I get it. Because, again, this is survival horror. This is not for everybody. But in terms of 
giving you the the scope to appreciate the magnitude of what these characters are going through. I think that they really did a good job of making it uh just like a torturously paced but not but riding the line to not make it so much that it wasn't fun. Yep. Something that I will say is now that we know that a lot of those extra effects from Gallowspire were not in the AP. I, th- I honestly think that like, I think we spent too much time by episode count in Gallowspire. And a lot of that was because we kept having to retreat after like one or two fights to go and heal because we couldn't heal effectively in Gallowspire. Like yeah. that, that dungeon was enough of a resource drain as it was written so like throwing in, throwing in those extra like I'm I'm not trying to like pile on I'm just saying that like I think that's a big part of why it felt so exhausting and draining was because there was that extra layer on top that we didn't know about till right now it it prolonged things and it just made everything harder than it should have been and I get the survival horror and all that but like I feel like that was already baked in and just the extra on top of it just really just had the effect of bogging things down. It felt like we were playing it on hardcore mode. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm like obviously that took up more time dealing with that. Um if for no other reason than it was probably almost definitively responsible for at least one character death, uh being Randolph. Um and like having having to deal with that, like that in itself was like an entire episode. Um, that said, I'm not sure if it really added that many more episodes on top of that. Because well, honestly, I feel like it did just because the lack of healing made us scared to push forward in situations where we normally would have just kept going. Fair, but how much time? like really was resting like how many episodes would have like if you took all of the resting and just filled them with like put them in their own episodes how many episodes really would that have been like three make it no i i think i could make an uh like a very similar argument that everybody kind of wanted an rp moment at night right like because that was the only time that we could really RP with each other. Yeah. So I I do feel that a lot of the time it really did kind of bog down the episode. And not, not so much negatively. It's just more along the lines of it was really our only time to really show how our characters like kind of grow and stuff and deal with things. Yeah. And that's valid. But again, I... I'm not sure if the rests would have like if just removing the rests and there would have still been rests like even oh, yeah. even with full healing but like, like just remove yeah. remove all the rests and I feel like that's just make 3 maybe 4 episodes worth of time uh so I'm I'm not like I so obviously the the those environmental hazards ramped up the difficulty by a lot like a hundred percent but i i don't know if that contributed that much as much as you're uh saying to how long that took 
well, at least for me, I'm not even saying in terms of physical time and episode count. I'm saying just the exhaustive repetition of two fights, retreat, two fights, retreat, two fights, retreat, like just just that cycle that we fell into in in Gallowspire, just like that feeling of exhaustion kind of permeated that environment. Okay. Like, yeah. I, know, I That's think fair. we had a couple we had a couple of like wands. I think we had a wand of cure moderate and maybe a wand of cure light that we just kind of ignored because they were functionally useless in Gallowspire. And like those those alone would have contributed to just keeping us going longer than we than we did. Yeah. I guess with under that lens, yes. Uh just the the exhaustion that the that those factors brought uh most definitely any other thoughts on on book four uh how about the travel uh part of it you talk about gallaspire a lot but the 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 journey to adarak and also uh the gallo gardens themselves like the like that was uh there's a lot going on there too yeah um i think like the travel, I had no issues with the travel. That was, like, that was fine. There, again, this, there were times where, like, I personally probably would have sped it along a bit as GM, but that would not quite have fit the, the kind of nitty gritty survival horror tone that you're going for with this one. Um, and the Gala Gardens themselves, like, that was another one. Maybe had one or two encounters too many. The encounters were all fun there, but I that was it. I, it did feel like we lingered there longer than it felt like we should have. Mm. Oh my god! I just rem- I don't I don't know how this hasn't been discussed yet, but the Pegasus encounter right before <laughs> we got to the Gallo Gardens. Uh, I think that would probably be an honorable mention for favorite encounter for me personally. Um, not to that uh, was sweet. Yeah, not not to with that tangent uh, what Matt was just saying, but that just like flew into my head. Um, I think that book four was the the most survival horror-y of any of the books so far, and book one was. I think book one had that uh, crown before we did book four. Uh, book four was interesting compared to book one because book one we didn't know what we were in for yeah that's true we knew what we were in for and it was it was still brutal yeah i feel like book one and two were more on the horror end of survival horror book four was much more on the survival end of survival horror yeah um there was and obviously like the survival part was prevalent in uh book two as well but i feel like it was just a much more controlled environment uh whereas book one just like scrounging for food was like just a constant issue but there were still you still had like like keisha keisha's 90s manner along the way and like it just it always felt like you weren't somehow you felt less isolated in the boneyard slash dead roads to me than you were in Gallowspire. Am, am I am I alone in thinking that, or you guys kind of feel like the same? Where no, I would agree with that mainly because we had actual like 
other beings to interact with, even on the dead roads. Yeah. Like in Gallowsfire, it really was just us. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, I think book four is definitely the, the most, uh, hardcore survival horror that we've done so far. Um, and I think because it, there wasn't a whole lot of anything else like, like book one had a lot of social interactions at the way stations. Uh, book two was, had a lot of, um, like exploration, uh, elements where like book four, you're, you're, you're traveling, but I, I wouldn't have called that exploration so much. So I think since book four was like, we got nothing unless you want survival horror. I think that's what made it as exhausting as it was, where the other ones at least had other elements, like other genres to, uh, to kind of supplement the, the survival horror that was going on. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And the book, you know, book three was very investigatory. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have, we have begun recording for book five at the start of, at the time of doing this uh, recap. Uh, so you guys kind of have a, general idea of what you can expect but i'll say that i think that um contrasting book four i think book five is probably the lightest on survival horror out of the entire ap after the grind of gallowspire that is going to be very welcome yeah um and i i honestly still don't know what to expect with book five like in in terms of like oh this is going to be a good one I, I I don't think it's gonna be disliked or anything like that, but I'm just I really I'm really not sure what kind of an impression it's gonna leave. The tail end of this AP is maybe the most polarizing of any AP Paizo has ever churned out. Um, in terms of some people absolutely loathe it and other people don't. So I'm going to try to treat it delicately. And we'll, you know, you'll 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 see when we get there. Be gentle. But yeah, I I I really don't know where the end of book five will leave us in terms of uh, impressions. Uh, but I'm I'm still I still think it'll be a fun a fun book to to play through. All right, let's see. We've got a couple more questions. Uh, Patrick Slaney uh, via email has asked: uh, Nick built a character focused on critical hits and not getting hit. Rolling crits is fun, but from a gameplay perspective, they also kind of disrupt the rhythm of combat. The crit has to be looked up, interpreted. Often there are some rule interactions that have to be sorted out, etc. With Uhtred, there is the added complexity of usually having to decide between a magic or slashing crit. In my opinion, uh, none of that makes for great radio, and I think combat would be better listening if Uhtred had more consistent damage or if you had a similar, simpler crit rule. Do you slash would you ever make playstyle or build decisions based off of what you think would be better for a podcast versus how you might do things if it wasn't being shared with an audience? Um, what a question. Yeah, um, good question. Uh, I think uh, TLDR... Crits can get very crunchy, especially with our added crit card uh, mechanic that we do. Is there an alternate that we would have ever considered, uh, considering uh, the pacing of the show that we're doing? 
I sympathize with the notion of it bogs things down. Um, but for me personally, I think that I think that crits are really fun, and I think adding that extra wild card of who knows what's about to happen. Um, yeah, it can sometimes bog things down, but I think just the wild card of all of that ultimately outpaces any any negatives from it bringing combat to a halt while we figure it out. I think it comes down to, are you a person who enjoys combat? Or are you somebody who kind of sees combat as, like, the filler to what you actually, like, the meat of what you want? Because, like, if you like combat and you like seeing those numbers and all that stuff, like, getting the cool effect on it is, like, fun and interesting. And, like, what could it be? It's a surprise. If you don't like combat, yeah, I could see where it would just be like, ah, Spending more time on this, like... Yeah, or I could even, like, if you like combat, but you like, you know, combat in terms of, like, it's more of, like, a computer game, where it's, like, I really like the tactics, and I like the, I like the RNG side of it, uh, and I just like it to go, like, boom, 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 boom. Um, I can understand where anything that makes everybody stop and have to, like, interpret something or... Like just, but that's every combat in Pathfinder. Like if, it, if if you want boom boom boom, you probably don't like combat in Pathfinder. I like almost every spell we're like, wait, all right, how does this work? What's the interaction? Okay, but I think that's uh, more of a uh, an us problem than a Pathfinder problem. Where if if like uh, optimistically, you're like, I'm going to cast hideous laughter. And the GM says, okay, uh, will save is 14. That's a fail. And this is exactly what happens. Everyone's like, yeah. And everybody's like on the same page. Like, I think, I think like a, not everybody in this group has that level of system knowledge. Uh, and B we're doing this for an audience who we usually assume also does not have that level of system knowledge. So like, uh, who doesn't have the level of system knowledge in this group? <laughs> I don't. don't I don't want to. I don't want to out anybody. So you're just gonna have to uh, use my imagination. Yeah, just judge. Just judge everybody as a group, Joe. Um, okay. But so yeah, I, I think th- there's definitely different levels of pacing depending on like just table to table. Like things are gonna be paced different, and no matter what, we are going to be a slower paced machine uh, for the sake of doing this as a performance and so again i can definitely sympathize with somebody who likes it to go faster even if you you know you like combat but you just you have your preference in how fast you want it to be paced um and just having one extra mechanic that isn't actually part of the game that happens semi-frequently and always takes at least a couple minutes to uh to rectify like I, I I could understand that you know that's definitely uh something that you don't appreciate. Um, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think for the most part, any complaints to that end that we in the group might have, I think is again overshadowed by our appreciation for the randomness and like the novelty of who knows what's about to happen with this crit. Uh, I have a complaint about the crit cards that I believe should be aired in a, a forum such as this. Go for it. I 
wanted to make a Kirk card, and I got overruled, and I'm still salty about it. <laughs> and I think it was an awesome Kirk card. Yeah, but we we, <laughs> we reserve that right for any of the Kirk cards submitted. I think you're the only yeah, one that we've I'm had to part invoke of it. Us. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> do the math. It was one versus four. <sighs> That's true. And for those <laughs> who don't know what I'm talking about, my crit card, which is awesome, by the way, I keep submitting this like, same exact one. Maybe it'll get to you. <laughs> no, don't do that. Is I get a hero point on a critical hit. Yeah. Specifically, me, Joe gets a hero my point. Character, Joe gets a hero point. <laughs> Like so, if if Nick crits, you pull that card, and Joe gets a hero point. Yep. Or if the the bad guy crits, and you pull that card. Oh, that shit! Point. I didn't even think about that. So <laughs> like here, so but the the problem is Joe's already such an optimized player that I think that was just gonna bring him over the top. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It would have been too much. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> um, I will say going back to. To the the end part of this question too of you know do we design characters with entertainment value in mind personally i that is not even a consideration for me when i'm designing a character i'm looking for something that i want to play that i'm going to have fun playing i agree completely and, with that and trusting that me having fun playing the character is going to provide that entertainment value. And like the role play and personality of the character is where the entertainment comes from, not the crunchy mechanics of it. Like I had a lot of fun with the crunch of Rogyar, but that wasn't why I enjoyed playing him. I enjoyed playing Rogyar because he was a cranky old dwarf who saw Uhtred as kind of like a, you know, a fun nephew that he had to take care of. I guess to that end. Please everybody to like no matter what you do somebody's going to be like that's not my cup of tea for a character or this thing so just do what makes you happy yeah there is something to like you know nick designed utrid to be a crit fisher like because that's fun it's fun to crit a lot i wonder if there would be not not that i've got any like ideas i'm about to pitch or anything but like i wonder if there is a like a meet like a happy medium where like Nick can keep making those crits all the time, but there's instead of the current crit card system, there's a faster, more streamlined version that still has that same level of gratification. I mean, I made those like like five alternate crits for when the crit card doesn't have any benefit. Um, yeah, for me personally, I wouldn't be down for that because I love surprises. Like, I'm the guy that goes out. I've literally gone out to a restaurant and ordered a surprise <laughs> meal. Like, ask the waitress, like, pick any entree you want and bring it to me. So I, I personally love it's like it could be anything. Yep, I can. It could be a surprise. Nick does this on the regular. You know how much you love surprises, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, no, I. Now, I I'm definitely I'm definitely with with you guys with the group on this. I think that I think the system as is is fine and I think that you know, we're doing it because it's fun for us to do it. Uh and I think that if that changed then we would uh we would change the system. But I think in the meantime, uh the value of those crit cards and the value of Uhtred being designed to crit is that it's fun for us and therefore that's making the show fun to listen to all right uh last 
question uh, from Zeno. Zeno has two questions left, but the first one is about the Grave Knight that was never visited. Uh, we already covered that one. So, last question: um, what What does Grave Knight Elxie's goal look like now that the PCs have abandoned her? Wow. <laughs> I don't know if Elsie will be returning. Uh I have I have a couple like storyboard options that I'm looking at, but I don't know if they'd be worth bringing in. Like I don't know like what sort of like return they would have or if it would just be like a kind of like a <gasps> and then, you know, ultimately not like being interesting. Like I don't I don't I don't want to force it if it's not going to be like fun. But as far as Elsie still being in this story, uh, meh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> what it look like the game master? <laughs> that said, um, like <laughs> this is one hundred percent the group's fault. They had they had the resources and agency to prevent Elsie from uh, coming back as an undead creature and. They they also had the the information at hand to know that it was going to happen. Uh, there was other things going on. There, how yeah. could we be expected to remember all these? There things? was there was certainly a second thing going on. Who could keep track? Well, I think this was just an example of like all of the characters would not have forgotten, but like we as actual people, like I just completely forgot. Like that, I wasn't thinking about like, oh yeah, we have Elsie stashed in Argenis's thing, and I think normally in those situations, you as the GM kind of be like, are like, uh, yeah, did anybody think about this thing? And we go, oh yeah, 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 no, no, we would do that. But I think you were putting the girls to bed, and the one person in the group who did think of it <laughs> intentionally didn't say anything because it made sense that his character wouldn't. Oh yeah, Teolith intentionally left Elsie behind, yeah. and uh, I, I, I like, do. We're human. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, and that's that happens, and and I do try to make a habit of like keeping that in mind, and I will, even if it's against my best interests, be like, I just want to remind you guys that this thing's on the table. Like, don't forget that you have this item, etc. Because yeah, like. The players are not their characters. Uh, it's very easy to lose track of mechanics that you're looking at on a sheet of paper versus if these were real people, like having to constantly like manage your inventory, like sift through your pockets and like just the the experience of like, look at this thing that I'm picking up and looking at and learning about and putting in this specific pocket of my backpack, like less way less chance that you're going to forget that's there just like if any of you like, died I just, and i had to stash you in a shed i promise i would not forget <laughs> to retrieve you that's yeah that that's what i was getting at uh so yeah very valid um that being said uh it is 100 percent your fault yep 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 um yeah i mean it's just it's what happened and we got to move on I don't know if Elsie would ever be a grave knight, mostly because the the one rule of a grave knight is their no animals. Their phylactery is their armor, and I don't know if you guys noticed, 
but Elksy's <laughs> armor class was kind of low, and that was Clearly because she didn't would wear be armor. Her antlers. <laughs> her antlers. She wouldn't be a lowly grave knight anyway. She'd be like a lieutenant, <laughs> a boss, some sort of high up general type. So grave knight, yeah. Yeah, but no, higher than that. A, gra- a grave captain, I think is what he's getting at. Grave captain. Yeah. Uh, fun fact about Elksy, uh, since this may be the last time we're like really looking at her. Um, so if you go back to book two, when Thalias first gains Elksy as an animal companion, uh, I'm pretty sure every single, like th- for that entire book, Elksy's pronouns are he, him. <laughs> yep. And then when I brought Elksy back at the beginning of book four, that was, that was what I was going. That was my understanding. And it was that scene. And the first episode of book four, where Elksy rides out with, um, shit. Cricks. Cricks. Thank you. Uh-huh. That was his name. Uh, with what's his name? Uh, <laughs> and like in a low voice, I like Elksy turns to Utrid and says, "Utrid, it's good to see you." Like he, him, and Joe's like, "No, Elksy's a girl." And I was like, <laughs> "Really?" He's like, "Yeah, Elksy was always a girl." I was like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> yeah. All right, all right, fine. You would know, so let me, hold on. Let me do that again. That's and, your mistake, right there. <laughs> <laughs> so I just redid the Elksy introduction, but Elksy's now she/her. Um, fun fact about Elksy: uh, everyone spells her name wrong. It's actually E L K S E Y, not I E. Oh, I would have guessed E L X Y. No. Um. So. Now, some people are like, how come Elixie's got a gore attack if Elixie's a girl? Um, to which I say, you know what? I think Elixie uh, just identifies as female now, and she's still got her sweet antlers that she was born with. So Elixie's our, Elixie's our, trans, uh, our trans character that we have <laughs> just completely mistreated and left for dead. <laughs> well... There was also um, Thalias just is he's kind of a dum dum, and mm-hmm. so he just sees an animal and is like he. It's like kind of when you pet a dog and you're like, what's his name? And you're like, it's a her. And her name is you know Rosie, and you're like, oh, how was I supposed to know that? <laughs> okay. So there's there's a couple things going on with Elsie. One, just you know. Thalias not knowing the difference of anything, and then Elksy being like, and that's, I think, actually a good part of the mistreatment, is like, <laughs> he didn't even ask, you know what I mean? It's just like, and um, yeah, so, Elksy, Elksy has a long, confusing history, and I think it's, uh, I think it's fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do like the, uh, like, keeping it kind of nebulous with Elksy, because Elksy's such a, an enigma, such a a mysterious character. Um, She's better than Thalias. But that's Well, yeah. I don't think that was ever up for debate. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah i i think uh, I think that's a good a good place to 
uh, end our recap. I personally am really looking forward to digging in, digging into book five. Uh, I think that everybody so far is having a good time with book five. Um, and I think it's it's got a lot of potential to be a really fun and memorable book. Um, it's very different. It's it is it's the most juxtaposed book of any AP I've been part of, I think. Um, mm. But yeah, we will uh, we'll just have to see as we uh, as we get into it. Uh, does anybody have any closing thoughts about uh, about book four, about this recap? I think we're all piling into the car and chasing down Alex after this. <laughs> <laughs> Got my uh, pitchfork here, and uh, I think that'll be good for all of us. You know, like a team building type thing. <laughs> and then maybe book five will be a little different, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, different GM, all that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Tarbet Fon's coming back? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Is that is that what you want, Joe? <laughs> okay, all right. That'll be cool. <laughs> um, yeah, good times yeah. and uh painful painful good times. Yeah. This is definitely the most characters that I've ever gone through in such a short period of time. But they were all fun in their own ways, and I'm definitely looking forward to what book five has to offer. Hell yeah. And uh, all 83 episodes of it. <laughs> yes. Don't you put that evil on me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, be sure to uh, tune in. I I don't know if we have a specific release date yet. It was just kind of, well, we're going to release it when it's ready. Um, but we have a, like a little bit of a bonus episode, like a floating episode that'll drop between this Friday and next Friday. Uh, so just keep, your eyes peeled for that in your feed but besides that uh yeah i can't wait to get into book five and i think we'll see you next week yeah sounds about right all right see you love you all see you see you